Eve of Destruction, the leaders of Eorzea hold council, a realm on the brink. The reckoning promised by the Black Wolf and his mighty war machine hangs low over the land. What is left to do in the face of such nightmares other than complete surrender? But all is not lost. The Scions have been reformed, and Eorzea's champions yet stand. A military strategy on a scale hitherto unseen has been devised, and the realm is ready to go to war. The time has come to launch Operation Archon. This is Radio Free Heidelin. Yes, welcome. We are here. We're graduating ARR this week. To do that, we have to do quite a significant amount of content. A little more than I actually thought there was uh, at this part of the game. So we'll be covering uh, the end of 2.0 today. Not technically the end of ARR as a whole. There are still the, the post patches, but that those are always sort of a different thing, right? Where yeah. the post patches often tie up loose ends and finish ongoing storylines that perhaps the, the expansion itself didn't have time to do. Or in, in many cases, they also set up what's coming next. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, I think specifically the post patches in ARR are almost their own mini expansion in a way like literally the game even sort of considers it one like if you look at your sort of like quest log or whatever it it takes all of those and sticks them in a special slot called the seventh uh, astral era which is interesting yeah because you know as we've discussed the production of realm reborn was very rushed they had a very limited amount of time to turn out this revival of a a dying mmo which they did quite well but as a result it came out thin there isn't a lot of voiced cutscenes. all of it is all of the story is pretty much backloaded in the first half of arr is very very empty in terms of plot right so basically what the post patches will be doing is trying to build on the foundation that ARR has presented. Yeah, I got to thicken that up, add some bullion to that uh, that broth or whatever. But luckily we are getting a fair amount of story uh, uh, this time. It is in fact very back uh, backloaded here. It's, it's, it's quite it's quite uh, a bottom heavy story. More, more than a fair bit of it, probably most of the voice dialogue in, in ARR is in this segment. I would say so, C- yeah. Certainly quite, quite a lot of it, frankly, though less than I remember, I will admit. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of voiced stuff here, but even so, it's, it's only limited to the Praetorium, the aftermath and a few uh, long cutscenes before that, right? So I say we start off with one of those said long cutscenes and pick up right where we left off last time with the Scions rushing into uh, the Fragrant Chamber, whatever it's called, to stop 
the leaders of the alliance from surrendering. Yeah, the presidents are all sitting around a room, and they take a look at uh, Gaius's list of demands, which I can kind of only imagine is like a single paragraph document that says, Hi, uh, I have a giant war machine. You don't. Um... I'm king now. Yeah, it's it's just it's just a picture of the ultimate weapon. It just says you can't do anything about this. Assigned Gaius XOXO. And it's interesting, right? Because they are they're all talking, and uh, Kane Sena is kind of the first one to uh, say, you know, people have had it fucking rough for these past five years. The world exploded five years ago, and we've been trying to rebuild. And are we really going to drag them into a war that they cannot win against a super weapon held by the most powerful empire on the planet? Can we really like do that to our people yeah and you know and then Merowib is like mm, i mean you kind of got a point like if we can barely handle dealing with primals one at a time we can't really deal with a giant like tar mech that is made of primals multiple and she's also like what well, and also you know this thing is kind of good at dealing with said primals so perhaps we can you know maybe not surrender to conquest but come to some understanding and make a more peaceable realm because of it and Raban, you know is kind of mad at them for this sort of defeatist thinking but ultimately he can't really come up with any reason to fight either he's like well it fucking sucks and i hate everything that's going on but i can't say that either of you are really wrong yeah, even Raubon, a very uh, a man with a very fiery temper and a staunch refusal to surrender in the face of insurmountable odds, even he is like, well, maybe these odds are a little too insurmountable, huh? And he's he's feeling really down in particular because he made that big speech early on. He had the best speech of all of the president's speeches, and it it seems like he is the one who took all of that most to heart, and he's feeling really shitty that he's ultimately not going to be able to deliver on any of those promises that he made at all yeah but uh but luckily he doesn't have to worry too much because busting through the front door uh who's that well that right there is a 14 year old boy in a stupid outfit <laughs> his outfit is so stupid I can't, every time i see his shoes i'm reminded of how silly he looks nanamo is also there and she, you know, but she doesn't yeah, say that much. Her role is actually kind of weird in this. She's operating as like a mediator, mm-hmm. even though really she, it's like Raubon, this is kind of weird about the situation Olda I find a lot of times. Raubon is kind of like given like the chair of like you're, you know, the ruler of Olda or whatever. Like you're like, he's the one who's talking in that role most often while nanamo is kind of like she finds herself in this mediator position between the three all the time which is weird because she's the leader of all that i don't know it the politics of it are a a little strange well it's because i guess this is the the eorzean alliance is the leaders of the three grand companies and while nanamo is technically the head of state raban is the head of the military so yeah. I mean he created the immortal flames. So it's um yeah, it's 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 a weird split of power that is only going to get stranger as you learn more about Old Oz political structure, which oh, is yes. very, very fractured. And, Labyrinthian, perhaps. Yeah. Byzantine. But, 
But this 14-year-old scolds all of the presidents for uh, even thinking about surrendering, which is very funny. Yeah, and he gives, like, a big fancy speech where he's like, listen, we can't give up. We just gotta, we just gotta do it, everybody. We just gotta get in there and, you know, roll our sleeves up and just put in a little elbow grease and we can take this thing out. No problem. Check this out. I got a friend here. And then you, and you walk in. Um, and everyone gets pretty hyped about it. You and Minfilia walk in and they're like, oh my god, are the Scions back? And yeah, Minfilia reminds them, like, yeah, handing the realm over to the Empire is not going to make things better. We know what they do to their uh, conquered provinces. We've seen it. And it's no good. So just wipe any ideas of, like fucking the even-handed rule of a great man out of your mind because that's not gonna happen yeah i mean gaia certainly believes that that's what's gonna happen but um i have a feeling that even if he got his way it wouldn't really work out uh quite the way he wants it to because of course he's not king he's just like a general nobody's explained this to him yet and she also mentions that it, the ultimate weapon doesn't mean the end of primals. If anything, Imperial occupation will just create more hardship, which will create more primals as the myriad tribes try to fight back against this occupation. So really, things are going to get way worse if Gaius gets his way. Plus, you might have regular people start trying to summon the Twelve at that point, which would probably be bad. And you and Sid just kind of stand there. But everyone is very happy to see Sid. Oh, of course. Well, I mean, Sid's the main character. Everybody wants to see him. And so this, this kind of speech and the reappearance of the Scions and Sid kind of do... It, it does reverse the mood in the room. And in fact, the first person to, to uh, throw her hat into the ring of fighting back is Connie Sinna, which Merlwib is very tickled by. Yeah, it's kind of hilarious. Connie Sinna, like, al- almost has a character arc a little bit, c- kind of. Like, they, they tried to sort of put one in it's it's very like it's it's a character arc but like you got you gotta really like you know you gotta lay like flat on the ground and like Mm. get level with like the meniscus of the character arc so you can really see it and like measure how how uh you know the the curvature of it because otherwise it just looks pretty flat but it's it's technically there yeah, she's the she is the pacifist who ultimately embraces resistance that sort of thing it's actually not merle who's very tickled by it it's nanamo who is like brought quite a bit of joy by this little uh exchange there and of course Raban and merle follow suit they all burn the ultimatum on on the fire and start planning the uh their resistance yes and they uh they present the plan to their various chiefs of staff and they send uh the scions a copy of this plan a plan called operation archon named for the eorzean equivalent of a doctorate yep uh so that's fun uh i guess also like sort of posthumously named after louis who uh got his uh fantasy doctorate from from charlie and at some point in the past and all of the scions are also archons. That's what the like uh, neck tattoo means, I believe. Yes, those are your archon tats. So while you're over the waking sands, getting ready to set up for this, Menphilia um, gets a delivery from the students of Baldessian because, as we'll remember, Thancred has sort of been possessed by an Asian, and that's yeah. a matter that we should probably try and resolve. So she has 
gotten her hands on a replica crystal of darkness because she believes that the way Astians and uh, possess people is that they need to keep one of these crystals on their person because that's actually the thing that anchors their essence. Astians have no physical form they are they are beings of pure like darkness or whatever so they need something to keep them contained makes a lot of sense to me need like a need like an anchor point for this evil ghost to live in so yeah you you grab that and she also says like they, they talk a little bit about how thankrid got here because a lot of this happens off screen unfortunately but she she talks a lot about how in Louis's absence, uh, Thancred has been kind of overworking and overextending himself, trying to like fill that role again, which ultimately w- allowed him to be like uh, manipulated and overwhelmed by La Habrea because of course they also assigned him to directly investigate all this Hassian shit and put him directly into that path. Yeah, sort of you know sending a solo operative to spy on like otherworldly supernaturally powerful beings who can like possess and control people it doesn't usually work out super well uh, for the for the people operating the spy here but no. uh but it's fine it's fine we're gonna we're gonna get that guy right on out of there we're gonna gonna br- dust off this man's shoulders he'll be right as rain and we finally officially get the title of Warrior of Light, because Menphilia mentions that due to our great deeds over the course of the game, a lot of people have been comparing us to uh, the Warriors of Light of the of the Calamity. And why not embrace that branding? It's good branding. It's pretty good branding, quite frankly. So yeah, Menphilia is sort of the first one to to like officially declare that you are the new warrior of light uh which is which is fun and then of course our world the world's smartest 14 year old walks in very confidently to explain this very complicated uh military operation which actually is kind of a good plan i kind of forgot like that they they did think this one through fairly significantly yeah this is a uh a little bit of It's a pretty good, pretty solid strategy. So here's how Operation Oricon is going to work. And we get this over a like an animated map that's showing all of the troop movements and whatnot and all the all the emblems uh, signifying all the different factions. Well, you Uh, know, I love that shit. Paradox Gamer over here. So there are is there five Imperial strongholds or six? There's some amount of castrums within the borders of eorzea uh you got you got occident you got so you got the two over in lanasia you've got the one just north of the waking sands then you got meridianum and then Sentry, and then way over by radani you got occident so yeah that's six so I think no, uh, that Castrum Oxid is on Vilbrand, it's the coastal one. The one near Gradania, I forget the name of, but it's it's colloquially called Baelsar's Wall, which we'll learn about later. So they're they're basically what the plan is. So Meridianum is Gaius's base of operation, and it's super duper fortified. That's where he is. That's where the ultimate weapon is. So to get into it, we have the plan is to cut it off from all support from the rest of the castrums. First thing is to shut down the Magitek transporter at Castrum Occidens, which is 
sort of the best way to transport supplies between the castrums. After that's done, the maelstrom will blockade Castrum Marinum, which is in the middle of the ocean. And that at that point, yeah, it's Castrum Oriens is the one near Gridania. Uh, because right, then right, right. the adders will blockade Castrum Oriens and take out the the rails between Castrum Sentry and Castrum Meridanum to prevent any reinforcements from moving. And at that point, you will assault Castrum Meridianum. Yes, then that's the Flames' job. The Flames, their only job, and, and remember this for later, the Flames' only job is to run in and smash their face against the front door of Castrum Meridianum. They don't have to do anything else. Put, it, put a pin in that. We'll come back to it. Now, the first obstacle in this plan is Riddaton has been sent to Castrum Occidens at Cape Westwind. And he's a big boy. So this plan does not work if you cannot defeat Riddaton and destroy the Magitek transporter. Yes. Uh, literally, the entire operation hinges on exactly one point of failure, which is you. But thankfully, you're like a badass and shit, so it's totally cool. This entire portion of the game has been heavily changed since launch. And this is the first point of change. This used to be the first eight-man trial in the game right here level 49 cape westwind against redditon and it's a bit all right so it's a bit of a joke that unfortunately yeah. can no longer be because they have changed it from a trial to a solo duty so it used to be th this was not a hard trial it was in fact completely trivial eight people was too many for this yeah, because it's, it's eight people ganging up on one admittedly beefy but normal guy, and there's just some ads that trickle in from, yeah. like, way downtown, It's not so a you hard can kind of just ignore them. But the joke was, whenever there was a person who uh, had never done it before... You would pretend that it was extremely hard. You would start putting random markers everywhere and talking about strategies in party chat. Yeah, talking about like how he's gotten in rage and all this other shit. It was it was a very funny joke. It's, it's like it's, it's like it's, hazing. It's like a rite of passage. Like ah, oh, the sprouts here. Let's pretend this is the hardest shit in the world. Yeah, it's it, it was it was a truly beautiful thing. But now now we have a very different Ridditon, a very different oh, yes. Ridditon who, by the way, does. Act actually have it in rage now so this is a solo duty now when you roll it starts the same way when you roll up to uh, cape westwind he confronts you and there he he demonstrates that he is like he is fully bought in to the, the gaius van balesar he loves that guy he'd do anything for him because he um you know he he believes that gaius i don't know i don't is ridditon from Whirlit? where is ridditon from ridditon i think is from Whirlit. he gets he he gets a lot well not a lot he he gets content there that will provide extra context to like his feelings here later but broadly yeah ridditon is like he's very bought in to gaius's sort of great man posturing like he he believes in the garlean meritocracy this you know the idea of like you know he came from nothing he was just a a guy in the colonies you know he he doesn't he he's from nowhere and he got built up to be a prefectus you know he commands like a ton of of the military in eorzea and he did it just because he was good at it 
And he believes that Gaius will indeed bring, you know, he will cure the ails of society through might and wisdom, as he believes he did for his own nation. Whether that holds any merit, we will see. But the point is that he is all in, and also he is an honorable guy. He sends all of his centurions away to fight you one-on-one. Yeah, he doesn't want any of his guys to get hurt, and, like, generally, he's, he's, he's a very, like, he's a very honorable fighter, and... Then we get into the actual solo duty, and it's, yeah, Riddison's got hands now. Like, this is a three-stage fight. It is. With, like, patterns. So, it's funny coming all the way back here, because all of these works are very recent, and as a result, the combat encounter design and philosophy is very different than it was in 2013. As you can see, playing a lot of older dungeons that haven't been reworked, like Tamtara and and some of the other ones. The way they designed combat and boss fights was uh, re- real different back then, real simple. This is more in line with modern dungeon bosses in that he's got a lot of patterned AoEs. There's a lot of like movement involved pattern recognition overlapping aoe's like it's he's got he's got the whole shebang he does and this this sort of starts to slot into the the way that the game likes to be challenging now so there's actually there there is a there's a large disconnect between the original design philosophy of final fantasy 14 from the first day it existed to now there's there's a really broad gap there and obviously we haven't been haven't been around for all of it we weren't around for 1.0 we weren't around for the days when technique points existed but you know there there's a pretty big difference between these two like you had a, a more like resource management style of difficulty like a resource management and like doing various like weird little tasks kind of of uh, of difficulty in the past right um but now you have a, a different philosophy the difficulty is mostly in pattern recognition being able to uh maneuver yourself adequately around like the the field and also being able to manage and use all of your skills appropriately you know that's sort of the the challenge here and those challenges are pretty adequately tested here by Ridditon all of them I think because not only do you have the first stage here that's going to uh make you sort of run around and dodge a lot of very complicated patterns and then of course you have the second stage with the ad phase that's pretty normal but you have the enrage mm-hmm. stage three is a dps check is a dps check the first one you're gonna get and th- and that's and that's really interesting because he locks you in place in a circle of fire and just continuously unloads on you and if you aren't using all of your healing skills and putting out all of your damage efficiently you're just gonna die even with like you know you're on level gear like you're just gone so genuinely they they made this they made this challenging and i saw before we started doing this content last night i remember 
seeing seeing a post where um, some some sprouts were like, "Wow, this Ridditon guy is really tough. I I don't know how to get past him." And I was laughing about that. I was like, "Oh, you know, that's that's adorable." But no, he's he's legitimately. I could see him being kind of a roadblock for people yeah. where they need to like get in the get in the time chamber and do some rotation management. And yeah, I mean, and I I like that because it more fits what Ridditon's supposed to be as a character. That people talk about him like he's a big tough guy, and before he was nothing. He was a jobber. He literally took like you could beat that trial in less than thirty seconds if you were fast enough. But now he is actually memorable. He is actually like a real fight. And also this fight more shows off him as a character because. You know the ad phase, like we talked about, his his boys roll up and you 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 fight, you kill them all, and we already talked about Riddleton. He loves his boys. He cares about his men. And once he sees all of them get thrashed by you, he that's phase two where everything's happening faster. He's powered up. He's fucking mad as shit trying to get revenge and then you eventually do defeat him there as well which is the new third phase where he activates his like armor's self-destruct and traps you in his in his enrage all the while going like i'm sorry i you know he's talking about like i'll see you again soon men i won't fail you I'll, i'll get my revenge before i go um and of course you survive that and uh, eventually kill him yeah like you you do straight up kill this guy and you know he he fights you till the bitter fucking end and he and he just goes out like on fire you know screaming like no guys i failed you no and then he just fucking falls over and the and the teleporter gets all wonky and stops working so uh yeah that's it's first phase that's, done that's uh that's pretty good. That's honestly, I I give that I give this change I give this change like a nine out of ten. Really, really solid. We uh we we cut over to Castro Maradonum, where we see the other tribuni receiving the news of Riddleton's demise, and all of them are shocked. But Gaius Gaius is fucking pissed. Gaius he- is furious he demands this messenger this survivor of the attack on cape west when he like if this was a if this had a higher animation but you can easily imagine this him like grabbing this dude by the lapels and slamming him against the wall demanding why ridditon's men didn't intervene not of course knowing that they did and they couldn't do anything yeah, no, this Gaius, Gaius is about to be like, I want everybody at this place drawn and quartered. If there are survivors, put them in, put them under the dirt. And he sends Nero and Livia out to uh, deal with all of the various attacks that are now simultaneously launching at all the all the various other castrums. Yeah. Meanwhile, Gaius, well, he's got a he's got to freshen up. He's got to prepare himself for a date with destiny and specifically a, a date with his persona. Uh, but we'll get to him later uh he's 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 gotta you know he's he's gotta get ready for that so now we're heading up to the next section of operation archon which is up in northern thanaland now we haven't been to northern thanaland yet and you don't ever really go back here this is basically an area that you only go to at the end of arr and it's 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 like it's very easy to see why it is the most end game ass location we've seen yet northern thanaland is this 
blighted hellscape with fucking cloudy blue skies that are constantly raining lightning and there's these hulking garlean machinery strewn across the land and the 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 big silhouette of the castrum in the distance this is this is some evil shit up in here yeah and the big gigantic cerulean processing plant that the uh you know the flames have pushed into and everything like yeah this is this is an area of the game that is very much designed to be like okay this is you know this is the this is the end of ARR everybody this is where it's happening which you know I'm thinking about it I wonder I kind of wish I had checked this I wonder if you go there before before this part of the game I wonder if the flames are there at all like or maybe like there's there's like gates you have to pass through to get there i wonder if maybe they're just closed off they just don't let you over there i would imagine yeah i would imagine there's level locked gates like the one in gradania where you have to be a certain level to, to gain access to them yeah that makes sense and you uh you're so they i think you said there used to be more stuff in this area there used to be more quests yes so this is this is very interesting to me so there in this part of the game, there's a couple of bits where you run into a problem that doesn't exist anywhere else, which is you'll run out of MSQ, but you won't actually be the level it wants you to be in order to continue it. Now, this used to be worse um, before they added a bunch of XP improvement items uh, that give you bonuses and stuff like that. I remember uh, my first time going through Error, actually, uh, I think... I had to grind out two levels for both for both of those gaps, and that's not always a, a super easy thing uh, to do if you want to just you know roll along with the story. And I think part of the reason why that is is because you know they've trimmed back like quite a lot of of the quests that used to be here. Like when they tell you, uh, like you you show up in Northern Thanalan at this like like sort of border outposts and uh you you report to the guy and the guy's like oh great you made it uh listen uh we're having some real morale issues we need you to run over to the newly captured cerulean processing plant and and put up the standard you know put up the flag you know really raise people's spirits but you get over there and everything's already done like all the flags are raised Raubon is there and everything else and there used to be a quest where you had to like run around and like give uh, a bunch of people soup you know just a nice hot meal get them going but now the only thing you have to do is run up to like four people and and use the psych emote at them and then everybody's ready to go which is really wild like that's i i th- i think like I understand wanting to trim some of that back because I I do think that it's a, it is a little lame to like you know do this big build up and you're like yeah we're gonna assault the castrum right now we just started Operation Archon we did all this stuff and then you get there and you're right about to knock in the front door and everybody's like oh I got a tummy ache. You know, like, it's a little lame, so I don't blame them for cutting back on that, but the XP gap, I, I, I feel like, might have something to do with the lack of quests now. Yeah, because uh, there is a jump from 46 to 49, very suddenly. 
And if you haven't, you know, it, it's pretty easy to get to 50 by this point if you're doing a lot of stuff, if you're doing more roulettes than we were, because we just weren't caring much about leveling roulette. I think if you do all of the optional dungeons that the game presents you with, like Holly Tolly and Temple of Karn and all that stuff, you could probably be at 50 before this point. So, because I think I, I definitely was the first time I played this, I was like already at 50 by the time this jump happened. But if like us, you're just speeding through the main quest, then it's pretty easy to suddenly get here ready to fucking face down the end of ARR and suddenly uh, you got to go do some shit first. Yeah, no, the guy's like, mm, sorry, you're not quite old enough to, to get on this ride, baby. Gonna need you to gonna need you to do some push-ups. Actually, hilariously, I don't think I mentioned this last time, but there's a really funny gated thing before you can accept the quest Operation Archon. Literally, Minfilia will just turn to you. If you don't have your, your Chocobo license... If you're not licensed to drive and you want to start Operation Archon and Philly Insurance, you goes, mm, sorry, we need you to get a driver's license first. Because there's a there is a point where you do have to pilot a, a mount in one of the dungeons. So yeah, I guess if you don't have the ability to ride a Chocobo, that would probably cause some uh, problems. Yeah, probably. Oh, God. So once you do hit level 49 or level 50 or whatever it's time for big speeches everyone's got speeches alphano's got a speech manfilia has got a speech rob bond's got a speech oh yeah we got we got speeches for days over here though i do just want to point i do just want to point out one other thing because i didn't want to put a pin i did put a pin in it before i just want to say the flames the flames showing up capturing one building and then immediately losing all morale and momentum is the funniest thing imaginable to me. Like, everybody else is like, yeah, we took out, like, four castrums, we blockaded a giant, like, super train, and all this shit, and the flames are just like, oh man, this is scary. It's blue over here. Yeah... Seems a little. It seems a little like maybe Ravon should uh, be a bit more rigorous with who he hires into his <laughs> troops. <laughs> Literally some tougher boys in here. <laughs> but yeah, the, the so these speeches. I didn't write the uh, the exact content of all of that. I mean, you know, you know, what really kind of they're involved. I mean, I think I think Alphano talks about his grandpa a bit. Talks about Louis Ravon. You know, he's talking about freedom and, and, and fighting back against impossible odds as he as he wants to do. And Minfilia is talking about giving your all for a brighter future you might not see, which is interesting because uh, it, it ties into some stuff uh, later that we'll talk about in the spoiler zone, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it's time. It's time for you to embark on the final leg of Operation Archon. So Gaius is in a build in like a big fortress called the Praetorium, which is currently surrounded by a huge energy field, a, f- a big force field. To get through that, you're going to need to go through the surrounding castrum and, and take it out. So without further ado, let's talk about the first level. Uh, is this, uh, this is a, the level 49 Dudron Castrum Meridianum.
So this is the one that has received the the, the heaviest changes, I think. Out of all of oh, the yeah. out of all of the in-game content, this is the one that least resembles its former uh, self. So let's talk a little bit about what these dungeons used to be. Yes, because because what they are now is almost unrecognizable. This used to be. They, they really wanted to try something big and bombastic with the end of era, right? They wanted to do eight-person content, you know, full party stuff. And that's... It's a lot. It's a lot it of people for a dungeon. Ish, it creates issues. So, the, yeah, this... Here's the thing. They didn't know how to end an expansion of Final Fantasy XIV yet. This is the first one. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the end of an expansion is you know what to expect. There is a dungeon, a big, like, bombastic, usually heavily story-focused dungeon, and then a trial. Once again, a big, big bombastic trial. That is not what was he- happening here. So... Castor Meridianum used to be an eight-person dungeon, which is an insane concept. It is that is not how anything else in this game works, because all, all of the other eight-person content is different in structure from a dungeon. The raids and the trials uh, don't involve a lot of exploration usually. This so Castor Meridianum was, in my opinion kind of a sprawling nightmare of pure chaos because there's a lot you have to do so there's eight people the pulls aren't restricted really you can um you can just pull every guy pretty much uh up to a point they have created gates now obviously so like and Every boss also had its own introduction cutscene, which is not how dungeons work usually. Which is very funny because most of the bosses of this dungeon are just normal guardian enemies, but red. Yeah, quite Colossus, but red. Dorito Man, but red. Red, ooh, that's how you know. There is also a bit that is functionally a stealth segment. Yeah, where there's actually there's not an, there's an, a significant amount of stealth stuff in in the original caster. There's like spotlights that can spot you and summon additional enemies and everything, which is a neat idea on paper. When you are running a dungeon with eight people, that becomes harder to coordinate around and deal with. Yeah. So this bit there's this there's a bit in uh near the end of it that always reminds me of the beginning of metal gear solid 2 where you're on the ship and you're sneaking behind those those marines giving uh, listening to a uh a presentation on metal gear ray because what it is <laughs> there's a fuck ton of garlean soldiers and colossi lined up outside of this uh this boss arena and functionally if you aggro any of them uh you die you j- everyone dies because there's so many fucking dudes there's like 30 colossi like you and, can't fight that and you also had to like shoot down a battleship that was hovering around and the battleship would knock something down there's also a bit 
where Sid Sid accompanies you in in the original one. He he no longer does that uh, here from the start. He does show up eventually, but in the original, there's a bit where Sid has to open a door, which sounds fine, right? Like that seems easy. You just have to guard him until he opens the door. But his pathing could be severely interrupted by enemies and it would take forever for him to actually get to the door and open the door so it was this it was like wrangling cats to get every single (laughs) enemy within a fucking 10 mile radius away from sid so you could finish the dungeon in less than 48 hours yeah the, the the way you originally did it right so there were the, the thing about original Castrum is it, it was this very complicated affair. There were, like, three separate, like, force field towers you had to take down. You had to do it in different ways. You had to blow up a whole pumping station. You had to, like, Sid had to sit there and shoot at a piece of metal for, like, 20 minutes. It, it, it's, it's this whole nightmare. And there was uh, this really long stretch where you had to get Sid from one side of this uh, complex all the way to the other. And to do this efficiently, what you had to do was run through it, aggro literally every single mob, all of them, the entire dungeon, and then funnel them into this back pocket and then hope to God that somebody remembers that there's mortars back there, and then you hop on that, and you just start you just start clicking and shooting these, like, gun emplacements down on this, like, ball of human misery uh, until it goes away. And if you didn't, if you weren't careful, if you missed even, like, one guy, you would be standing there right next to where the, the Colossus boss would spawn waiting for Sid, and he would just never show up. You would have to, like, go back there and go find him and, <laughs> and, and remind him what the correct direction to be headed is. None of that exists now. It's a very, it's actually a surprisingly standard dungeon now. Like, it is a very, very linear and straightforward experience now, which me personally, I'm fine with because... Whenever I did MSQ Roulette, I was always hoping that I would roll Praetorium. Because while Praetorium was extremely long, it's easy. It's fucking so easy and branded. I would literally just put something else on, have the window open in the background for when I had to do two minutes of gameplay, and then and then tab back over. Castrum Meridianum was a process. It, it has was, but fail I'll tell you states. What, I'll tell you what. I've I've had to grind tombstones, and uh, back in the day, if you uh, if you knew what you were doing, you could you could breeze right on through Castrum in like twenty minutes flat. Ooh, that was so nice. Get like two hundred tomes. Just do that over and over again. That was like the fastest way to get tomes. It was <laughs> it was straight ass. <laughs> It sure was. So I'm in favor of this. I know you had more complicated feelings about the changes to Castrum. Yeah, it's... I think they went too hard on it, honestly. Because, like, it, it's it's reduced in stature so much. Like, it's really crunched down. Entire sections have just been completely ripped out. There's no more... The whole Cerulean processing plant, that section is gone. You don't go over there. Uh, you don't have to turn off searchlights. You don't have to uh, like pick up 
a bomb. You don't have to blow up. There's literally only one force field generator in this whole facility right next to the front door of the Praetorium. And that just immediately gets taken care of. There's no, the, the stealth segment's gone. There's no like anti-air segment. You don't get the cool cut scene where the blimp that you shoot down like crashes into the last tower and takes it out for you so you can get inside. Like there's, there's just a sense of like scale and tension that original Castrum had that just doesn't exist here anymore. Like you don't, like, original Castrum, for all its faults, really did feel like this massive, sprawling installation, just absolutely full to the brim with dudes who want to kill you, right? Like, it really, really felt like what it was being advertised as. But now it, it tries, like it does try, it tries to keep that feeling, and I think it does okay, but I, I, I do think they really did crunch it down maybe a little too much. I think maybe keeping it as like a longer dungeon, maybe keeping in the fourth boss, maybe like including some amount of like extra stuff you had to do even just like a second one of those field generators still existing where you still had to do like the bomb thing you could have streamlined that you could have made that more bearable but like i don't know it just it loses something in the translation there's there's a there there's sort of a an atmosphere that has been worn down it's 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 a very like thinned uh experience which i don't know is actually that positive one thing we can both agree on however is that the final boss is way better oh yes livia so livia sastrunius is the final boss of castrum she she shows up to uh to sort of stop you in your tracks and she has a weird speech her speech is weird um she gets like there's some real like horny for gaius vibes here this this woman is like you you can't have him he's mine he's all mine forever and i'm like it's lady that's that's your business i don't she keeps talking about how like oh he he, he, your echo he's obsessed with it i need to know what makes you so special why why gaius isn't thinking about me anymore it's like this seems like you need to do some soul searching on your own this doesn't seem like a me problem this seems like a you problem yeah there's um a, a theme that you will run into uh is that a lot of these people need some like need some like therapy just get like just some one-on-one time you know what i mean just talk talk it out a little bit oh uh, boy so in the original this boss fight sucked shit oh yeah so she starts on her magitech armor first um in the original and it was a situation where you couldn't actually damage her directly at all, but also, so what you had to do was load mortars with these extremely slow Magitech claws and also stop ads from attacking said mortars. Then you would fire them at Livia, which would draw her aggro onto you, and then someone else would have to do that. And the other thing is, she doesn't do any damage because... The way this fight is built, you're going to have non-tank 
characters drawing her aggro, so she can't do that much damage. So as a result, it's just tedious. It's it's just fucking boring. And then once you blow her armor up, she gets out of it, and you uh, fight her on foot for three seconds, and then she dies. Yeah, she has like no health. She just immediately explodes. It was not an especially engaging affair. It, it was it was very tedious. It was not. It was just like I don't know. Probably probably like the the I like I get the idea of it right. Like the idea of it was like kind of cool. Like I get like oh you know she's in this like super tank. You gotta take it out or whatever. You're not quite strong enough to do it. Like I get it. Like I get it, but. It just didn't work out. Now, though, things are, very, things are very different now. She's fucking serious now. If you thought Riddleton had some of that modern design spice, Livia goes pretty hard. So she, no armor, skip that. Who cares? By the way, it's very funny. You can buy her Magitek armor, which is literally just a white version of the normal Magitek armor model, for like $7 or something. It's probably more, actually. It might be $12. Um, her and Nero's Magitek armor you can buy. Uh, and like I said, functionally, it's just... It's just it's just different colored Magitek armor. It's the same. It doesn't it doesn't do anything different. But I just thought that was very funny. So Livia now has a lot of the same like high demand in movement and 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 reading a situation AOEs that Redditon does. A lot of crossover. A lot of like crazy patterns with very small safe spots. And she the fight in general is just way cooler because she's constantly like popping these power-ups to push herself further and further. And eventually, you know, you, you kill her and that kind of uh, is implied to like be the thing that ultimately kills her is the strain on her body that she took from just doing all that shit. Yeah, it's like it's it's pretty cool. It's this this is this is a very neat fight. I I love how she's like they, they sort of have retroactively added a lot of motifs that other like high-ranking Garleans will have later. So it's it's really interesting they've done that. They've sort of standardized, like, the language of how they fight, which is cool to me. I think that's kind of awesome, just from, like, a, like a story-building perspective. I will say also, like, the mechanics here are, like, so much more than I could have possibly mm -hmm. imagined. Like, they are you're probably like you're probably not gonna see a dungeon boss with like these kind of like patterns and and mechanics until like the very end of heaven's word at the earliest like this this is this is this is some complicated content i would say further i would say because i was thinking about this i was thinking about dungeon bosses that have demanding mechanics somewhat and a lot of them go way slower than she does. That's true. That's a good point. The one that I thought of was the very first dungeon in Endwalker. There is a boss that is that was quite hard, even at level. Like even in the, it, it, it's still kind of hard to deal with. And that she, that's the one that it reminded me of the most. I think that and the very end of the post Stormblood patches is where you will find dungeon bosses that are this wild. Yeah, though I I I, I did have. A feeling about this fight, which is I like I like I like this fight. 
I want to be clear. I like this fight. I think it's a massive improvement. But it, it loses a little bit of its character. And that's not to say its character was necessarily desirable before, but I think, again, similar to the rest of Castrum, something's kind of lost in translation here. I, I think that she probably should have had just a little bit more going on like in terms of like you know what does she do what what character would you because her fight doesn't have anything to do with her really the character was in the clunky mechanics like what would she have i i guess i don't know i just thinking about it i i just feel like the 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 standardization of a lot of the 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 mechanics of the game and the way a lot of the uh the game plays it's it's got good and bad qualities where obviously this this demands your attention this is a challenging fight this is an engaging fight it's a fight that is that is fun and it's flashy and it it has like a lot of really cool aspects but at the same time uh, I, I feel like, you know, when everything get, I, I feel like things might be headed in a direction where everything sort of starts to get kind of samey. I don't think we're there yet, but just looking at kind of the, the direction that, that uh, Square has taken with the game, I'm just, I'm a little concerned because they're reworking Heaven's Word next. And I'm just, so- I'm just a little concerned about the idea of things just getting maybe a, just a little too homogenous in terms of how they want to structure things. Here's why I don't think that is actually true. Because the changes they made to the Ultima Weapon fight make it much more characterful and exciting than it was before. That's true. Those and- are awesome changes. And the changes they make to the La Habrea fight, which is now a solo duty, is also much more characterful exciting than it was before. So, because ultimately, Livia Sasgenius does not matter. That's true. She does not matter at all. She is the final boss of the penultimate dungeon of the first expansion. And what the, I think what they are trying to do with her is present the end of ARR not in terms of this, like, scale but in terms of an uptick in difficulty that is much more demanding because i think livia the thing about livia is that she is built up over the course of error as this rival figure you encounter her several times she does some bad stuff and i think they wanted to make her fight feel cool and i think they they got that like it's it's a much more engaging fight to do than before where you're just like running around and clicking stuff and then you beat her and 10 seconds because she doesn't do anything out of the mech but regardless that's over she dies uh boohoo gaius yada yada you know you know you know what her dying words are yeah you know what her dying words are which by the way once again we're putting a pin in that but we'll mm-hmm. we'll get back to that in the spoiler zone for now we got a knock 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 right on this uh around this door here and to do so you know we 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 took down the force field but this building is still pretty big pretty heavily fortified so we're just going to do the most logical thing possible and we're just going to drop in through the roof so you head on out of uh the cast room here leaving the flames to sort of continue their their barrage if you will and uh you go on over to this what i can only describe as a blimp depot uh, a, a blimp dock and uh immediately you uh you fly on over to the praetorium which is hilariously uh, it, it's it's very close 
to unchanged. Uh, there, there are minor differences, but one of the most hilarious changes, or one of the most hilarious non-changes, really, is this opening bit yeah. where you fly in on the blimp here uh, on the Enterprise, and everyone steps off, and you get this like, uh, like sweeping shot, and this like, like you know, like oh yeah, this the crack team of adventurers ready to storm the castle. It's a lot less impressive when it's just four guys instead of eight. Yeah, so without further ado, let's discuss the level 50 and final dungeon in A Realm Reborn proper, the Praetorium. So the Praetorium is rather infamous in this fandom. In fact, it is on Letterboxd as a feature <laughs> film because the thing we haven't discussed yet, because it doesn't really come up in Castrum that much, but it comes up here. So another part of making these final dungeons, right? These these end of end of game uh, content is they didn't want people to skip on the story. This was their big climax and people will replay dungeons and often you'll find people skipping cutscenes and rushing ahead of people who are still watching the cutscenes and therefore you you kind of uh are you, you gotta like oh i gotta skip this and get to the fight normally people don't do that for dun uh story dungeons it happens more often with like leveling or filler dungeons but for here they didn't want that to happen at all they wanted to eliminate the chance of that entirely so the solution they came up with is to make every single cutscene unskippable and not only that it is locked into auto scroll so you can't even skip through the dialogue you are watching it everyone is watching it at the same pace you got yourself a nice in-flight movie. You might as well, yeah, kick back, get some, get some and snacks, get a nice, nice beverage. I am pretty sure before the changes, this did literally used to be feature length. Like there were a lot of cutscenes in the Praetorium, and we'll talk about it because the Praetorium used to be this dungeon part and the fight against the Ultima Weapon and the fight with La Habrea. All in the same thing. All in the same duty. And that's a lot of shit to do. Yeah, just broadly, I, I think an average run of the Praetorium originally, it was definitely more than an hour. It was like about like about probably an hour 15, maybe hour 20, which... Is, I don't, yeah, it's technically it's, feature length. That's, that's feature length, baby. Like, it is, it is kind of a film. And... Yeah, like, like, the fact that they packed so much just into the Praetorium itself, just, just this one dungeon, like, I, I do understand it. I, I understand why they did it. It's like, they have to wrap up a lot of stuff, and they want to do it in one big package, and it makes sense. But, you know, sitting down for, like, a full movie's worth of content, and that's assuming that you do it fairly efficiently. Like you know, you know, you get through it. Like if you if you're wiping to it, uh, you know, it can take significantly longer. Not that that's a huge danger in the Praetorium. It's kind of snooze fest originally, anyway. But like you know, if you have a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing, you know, you might die a few times, and that just sort of ticks that that clock up pretty significantly it's it's a big it's a big investment 
And, you know, it's not really a wonder then that, you know, sort of a historic problem in uh, trying to do the end of ARR is that the Q times are kind of astronaut or were kind of astronomical, except only when tombstone events were happening. Then everybody was doing them because they wanted the tombstones. That was the easiest way to get them. Um, so yeah, not necessarily the best idea in the world to, to, to throw that all in the same basket, frankly. And this is much more digestible terms of the structure of this because it's it's split up you have your dungeon then you have a trial then you have a solo duty way better in terms of way like, better you can get up take a break between stuff and just not sit there for fucking hours playing the same thing so let's talk a little bit about the dungeon itself uh changes have mostly been made to make it more navigable and so that you can't uh skip huge portions of it <laughs> Which is yeah, the there main used, way you did it beforehand. Yeah, there used to be a thing where uh, there were these little, like, terminals that you would click on and it would, like, teleport you to a, se- a different segment of the dungeon. Um, and the intended way of playing through that is that you, you know, you roll in, you defeat all the mobs, then you click on it, and then you go to the next area. But what you could do, because it was an instant, it wasn't like um, most things in the game where it gives you, like, a little timer you have to, like, complete or whatever. No, it would just, like... like instantly take you as long as you weren't interrupted when you were clicking on it it would instantly take you there so what you would do is you would run past everybody and just mash this this button this keypad as hard as you can as long as you weren't getting hit by literally everybody you could probably make it you know big f's to whoever was last in line because usually you just died you know that that is that is what it is but now, now it's, you know, more traditional, things are gated, you can't click on the go to the next area button without actually having cleared out the enemies and stuff. There's one other bit that I, I that is significantly changed uh, in my mind, which is there, there used to be, so there's a segment in it where you get Magitek armor, like you, you find Maggie, you get in Maggie, but before you were able to do that, there, there was this room next to an elevator. And I am a little sad that they took out the real elevators, but uh, there's a room where you had to remember to go to the other side of the room, like the complete opposite side, hidden by a wall, because you didn't know it was there. You you just wouldn't really notice it. You have to get a key card. If you don't get the key card, you don't get to get in the Magitek armor, which means you're hoofing it, baby, until the end of the dungeon, and you are useless. It's hilarious. So, Sid is with you through this whole thing, um, for the most part. He's at least over the radio for the most most of the thing. And the first cutscene, the first big cutscene you get, not voiced. There's a lot of voiced cutscenes in the back half of it, but weirdly, I think, personally, I think all of this should have been voiced. I don't really know why it wasn't. Because uh, yeah, he's, he's pretty important for a lot of characters. And the first thing you you, you get to Gaius's control room. It's a, it's a it's an area we've seen him in a lot him in a lot in various cutscenes. And you're there with Sid, and you know Gaius does the Vader thing, right? He um because Sid has talked about how Gaius was kind of a father figure to him after his his father died in in the meteor testing. So 
And Gaius kind of talks about how, like, well, your, you know, your father, what happened to him wasn't a random tragedy. The the work on Meteor literally changed him. It enthralled him. He he couldn't see anything other than the flames. I'm I'm just built different. I assure you, yeah. I won't be consumed by my ambitions, Sid. Don't even worry about it. Just join me. Everything will be great. It will be like we'll be pals. We'll go. We'll take some nice fishing trips. It's gonna be great. And he, um, he like offers his he's like Sid, it doesn't matter that you abandon Garlemald. Your your mind is still brilliant and I know I know that you can offer a brighter future. You should join my side. You can help me build a better tomorrow. And Sid is it rejects this soundly. He he doesn't believe in any of this anymore. He's he's had enough empty promises from Gaius to know that this is not this is not anything. He's not a boy anymore. He's not a naive young lad looking for a father. He's 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 a whole person now, and this isn't gonna work. No, it's not. And Gaius is like like really hurt by this. He's not like he was really hoping that this would work. Also, he tries this on you it's for really, some reason. But really, half heartedly, it's like, well, perhaps maybe you could join me. I mean, you're really strong, and I'd uh, it'd be cool to have you. But he knows, like, oh yeah, you're probably not gonna say no to this shit. Um, well, if you're not gonna join me, I have to kill you because you either ally with me or you die. I can't allow someone this strong to continue living on yeah also uh interestingly and, and and this is this is one of the few times that something like this happens with like a garlean uh sort of standoff here Gaius just tells sid hey you can leave if you want like yeah. you can stay here and die or you can leave it doesn't really matter but like i won't have anybody kill you if you just leave yep Gaius. So. Gaius and sid have history but he leaves you fight a big blue robot he's somewhat changed to have actual mechanics uh, before he was just a big ad functionally like he was literally just a big colossus now yeah. he's got like raid wides and tank busters and aoe patterns you know the usual changes. yeah it's pretty standard though there is a very very there's a very funny bit where um they really wanted him to get to the center of this very tiny arena as fast as possible to do his like little attack or whatever so he will just do the world's funniest like cartoon sprint even if he's like one inch away he will do this extremely sped up like looney tunes ass run like complete with like trails like off his feet to the center of the arena it's very very funny so after this you get to the magitech armor portion of the dungeon um this used to be you had eight you had all these huge racks of Magitek armor that each, you know, that you come up to. Uh, now there's only one, and guess what? It's your Magitek armor. However, before this, they cut out a cutscene here where originally you would see the Magitek armor like recognizing you and booting up for you. They've cut that out. I don't really know why. So. Yeah, I guess I guess just to streamline this portion because because yeah. uh, it used to be the way that that used to go was that was one of the few cutscenes in the Praetorium that was skippable. So what would what would happen is you would go up to it because you could activate that cutscene at different times because everyone had to run up and click on this before it happened. So you'd run into this issue where people would um, like the very first people in the room would get the the armors. And then already be gone before you've even like managed to get out of this cutscene and and start moving. So there would be just sort of this long train of armors, and really the only like the 
front two people were actually doing anything. Um, now it's you know because they've they've removed that bit you just walk up click on it and then get going and with four people also it gives everyone a little bit more to do because eight people in an already very very strong like turret segment functionally that just meant like it was a total cluster like you could barely see what was going on it was just kind of silly but now you know with just four people it, it gives you a little bit more mo room to maneuver around like you can see what's happening you feel like you're participating more i i, I definitely prefer that over how it used to be yeah so you get down here you blow open a big concrete door and you get to the next boss who is nero tolskava yes and he's got quite a speech for us once Let again this should you. this should be voiced why isn't this a voice this is a big cutscene. so like i said sid's still over the radio and nero kind of hacks into the line because he's got words for sid he's got a lot of words for sid he does actually real quick does nero have an arr voice he actor? has one line in like a very i think it's in the introductory cutscene where you first meet them because he kills that guy I think that's the right. only time he ever talks in a Realm Reborn. Interesting. So maybe it's like an issue lines. of like not being like not being able to get that guy in studio or something. Maybe. But so he he talks with Sid and he kind of unloads his relationship to him. So they used to be friends uh, when they were younger. They, and and Nero has always been living in Sid's shadow because Sid has been the the Magitek prodigy, the son of Midas Non Garland. And when Sid left, when he deserted. Nero thought, oh, well, now people will recognize my talents for what they are. But everyone still talked about Sid. Everyone still talked about how good Sid was and how much of a prodigy he is. In fact, they talked about him more. He's like, ah, that's Sid. It's a shame he isn't here. And so Nero has been just stewing up a real potent inferiority complex over these decades. Oh, yeah. No, he's he's like, oh, yeah. And the... And this is going to be my magnum opus. This will finally prove to Gaius and everybody that I'm the cool kid. I'm the smart one. Me. It's me, not you. It's like, okay, cal calm down. Yeah, and Sid even goes like, I don't know what to say to any of this. This is a lot to take in. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, dude, whoa. Yeah, so a lot of, like, like we said, Sid is the main character of ARR. A lot of people have a lot of feelings about Sid and to varying degrees. Yeah, it's interesting too because, yeah, we see here again Gaius being this stand-in father figure for a lot of the people under his command, for Redditon, for... Nero for Sid for Livia in yeah well, weird ways. We'll get to Livia. And here, Nero has just been desperately trying to get Gaius's approval for fucking anything, and all Gaius wants to talk about is Sid, Sid, Sid. Yeah, like N Nero. Nero is not a fan of of this situation. He's decided. Listen, you, you adventurer, you got this echo shit going on. Tell you what. I think I know exactly what's going to finally prove to that old man that I'm the best. I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you inside that tar. Now get over here. 
<laughs> so you fight Nero. He is also changed. He used to be a real chump, obviously. Uh, but now he's got way more mechanics. He's got a lot of like he's he has a lot of mechanics that will show up in very tricky bosses. He also really resembles another future Garlean boss. This time he resembles a Garlean you fight in the final dungeon of Heavensward. He does a very yes. similar thing where he sets an ad on you and you have to kill that. And while you're dealing with that, he teleports to the other side of the arena with a huge AOE that you have to like run to the safe zone for. Yeah, no, it's a cool fight. And also I, I, I do really appreciate they made like one very big change that I really liked where they, so first off they expanded the arena, they made the arena bigger, but also there used to be this like lightning, like, damage zone that just encircled the whole like center thing but the effect itself was like it was feathered out in such a way that it was really hard to tell like exactly where it began and ended so it was really really easy for you to like end up in this lightning and start taking like a bunch of damage for no reason not that it really mattered but it was kind of annoying so like it's nice that they um they, they really, like, they redid that effect and they made it super clearly defined. Uh, and I, one thing I also forgot to mention, so I think during his little monologue to sit, I might be wrong about this and I just never paid attention to the music during it, but I think it might have been silent before. And they added some music to it to help that because it's already awkward enough without voice acting. If it was also completely silent, then boy. But you, you defeat him. And unlike Riddaton and Livia... He's not the kind of guy who fights to the bitter end. He's out of there. He's- nah, he's he's a smart cookie. He's he's like, all right, tell you what, I know when I'm beaten, I'm gonna bounce. See you later, and he like cuts the lights for a second (laughs) and then he's gone oh i forgot to mention also i love uh his gigantic hammer because that's that's nero tilskeva's weapon of choice it's a huge fucking garlean war hammer when are we getting that shit as a warrior weapon me the hammer i want the hammer you already have plenty of hammers you can use as a warrior i want nero's hammer Uh, give it to me we're gonna get that Nero, the the Nero Tolskeva update. It's right around Come the corner. On. Don't even worry about it. And now, finally, it's time to confront the Black Wolf himself. So you enter this elevator, and he's there. And this is one of the most infamous parts of uh, of the Praetorium is this entire fucking monologue here because he talks at you. He explains his whole deal. And this is where the voiced cutscenes start. This is the first voiced cutscene in Praetorium. This is also where we get one of the most infamous bits of terrible ARR voice acting because yes, we've talked about how baffling Grant George's performance as Sid is which is only more baffling once I learned that he is like an experienced voice actor who's been around for a very long time so I don't know how this happened exactly because presumably if you're still getting work in 2022 which he is gotta be good at it the thing that gets me is like his portrayal of Sid is like you ever get a guy at a party who's like oh yeah I can do accents I can totally do accents and then he like and he tries to do like a Scottish accent, but he gets like kind of nervous and kind of ha- like halfway backs out of it. That's what this version of Sid sounds like. And yeah, he's, he's talking about how he wants you to come back. He cares about you. <laughs> 
and I'll do my best to recreate. Yeah, give me, give me your, give me your best Sid right now. Oh, and don't even think about dying. You're too bloody useful. Beautiful, poetic, and that's catastrophically bad voice acting. That is like, it's so there's bad. a, there's a video I watch constantly that's like the fifty worst lines of voice acting in video games and it's one of the funniest videos in the world i i i say some some of the lines in that video to myself all the time such as that's what we should have done in the beginning <laughs> and that's a line that deserves to be in that video it is terrible it's it is astronomically bad and the thing is this is this is again one of the one of the major differences in doing uh doing a run in Japanese uh voiceover because a, like the the voice acting uh in, in Japanese is so much more like normal and like characterful and has like this like emotional cadence to it and it's just it's just straight up goofy in English like it is just like it's like tdislaugh.mp3 yep. in here and we will get we will get good English voice editing. It's on the horizon. It is. It's just not here. Whatever combination of time constraints and poor direction they got results in ARR in the post patches having this fucking dreadful like it's like nineties anime dub quality. Oh yeah, big time. It's like it's kind of amazing. Like it's 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 beautiful in a way that I would never change it. I would never change no. it. You have to you have to preserve this like in 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 like amber for future would it, generations. Would it be better if they went back and re-recorded all this? Yes, probably. Do I want that? No. No. Like it needs it of, needs to exist. It's this is, this is history. We have to make sure that future generations could experience this. Plus, you probably can't do that because I think a lot of the guys in the air, both ARR and the the post uh, the post Heavensward stuff are union. So, oh yeah, you know. yeah. You can't you can't mess with that kind of stuff. Union contracts, uh, famously quite ironclad, which regardless, is why everyone should be in the union. Regardless, it's time for Gaius's big speech, and there's a funny remnant here where he asks you, "For whom do you fight?" Now there used to be a dialogue choice here; they removed that because uh, some people weren't paying attention and holding up the whole situation. So instead, you're completely silent. So he goes, "How very glib!" To uh, nothing, you don't say anything. Yeah, it's it's very funny. I I think I think they should have left it in and just put like a weird timer on it or something where like if you didn't answer in like yeah. twenty five seconds that it just like cancel it out or whatever. Either way, he has an epic r slash atheism speech. He does. All right. So we already said Richard Epcar. I think he does fine as Gaius. I think the main thing that he's missing is range of emotion in his voice. He's fairly static yeah which is fine for this yeah this later this speech this speech is fine for that i don't think that it's a problem later he he kind of well we'll get to that uh but akio otsuka his japanese voice actor is is absolutely chewing the scenery during all of this as he explained because that's what he that's what you get akio otsuka for is to do that i feel he's just a very good voice actor um he also has a lot of range he isn't always chewing the scenery he he does play um solid snake but he also plays blackbeard in one piece who is very bombastic so you can get both right Mm-hmm. Regardless, he is talking all about how he, he, he's how he is 
outlining his philosophy in detail to you of like, you know, not only are primals a scourge, but any god at all are the same thing to me. He says icons, everyone. He feels as though, you know, it's, it's, he's, he asks, you know, why don't you beseech your 12 in the same way that the quote unquote beast tribe summon their primals? And it's like, you can't, you can do it. I bet it would work, but you would have to gorge them on ether and do all of the same things that the myriad tribes do and all of the same downsides. And he's, he is under the impression, he, he believes that the only way forward is to cast all of that aside and put the future in the hand of an enlightened man of of great power and wisdom and that man is him yes he's got he's got a very like like no gods no masters thing going on here he's very like well okay i guess that's not true no gods one master really yeah yeah, he's he he is like he is terminally brain poisoned by the great man theory. He he is absolutely sold on this idea that the enlightened despot is the best way to fix everything because if you just have one guy who's really really smart and makes all the decisions, then he'll just make all the good decisions and you don't have to worry about anything. Uh he- checkmate uh democracies. And he is also super like social darwinist he's like not only do you have to be the best man should be leader in all ways in terms of his mind the strength of his body the the, like the, the power of his will you have to be all of these to be a leader and i believe i have all these qualities and then he turns gold for some reason yeah he goes super saiyan i don't know why i have never understood why or how he does this it is pretty cool it's just very funny it's just it's just his power baby he just he just turns gold that's his attack that's my power i make myself gold (laughs) pretty cool huh (laughs) and so you fight him this also under this fight obviously underwent some changes to make it more in line with a lot of uh other girlian bosses yeah one very specific girlian boss actually quite later he's he does he has the thing where he like makes the x's that shoot forward and they've they've sort of standardized that into a much more sensible aoe than whatever the fuck they were doing before yeah and he's got a dps check He's got all this sort of stuff. He's got a tank buster. And it's it's all it's it's a fine fight, but the, it's kind of the lead up to what the actual final battle is. In fact, I would say that Livia is a better fight than he is, but yeah. This is this is the this is the this is the the appetizer because you defeat him and he goes, "Wow, you're strong. You should be president." Yeah, Not he, how it works. he has this he has this extremely funny line where he's just like, "Damn, you're this strong, and you're not even using that strength to become a dictator? It's What's like, up bro, with that? That's, that's kind of cringe, bro. It, you can't... It's not how it works, man. <laughs> you can't... Like, a str- like if a guy... Who, I mean, I guess it kind of works in some... I guess that's kind of what happened with Raban, but that's different because he's actually the leader of the military, so his skill set makes sense there. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't quite... The thing is, and this is still... This, is, this still gets me to this day, 
and this is like, and this is not, and this is not me being like CinemaSins ding or whatever, because it's an incongruency that makes perfect sense inside the dude's like internally consistent ideology or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, it is so funny to me that he is this committed to the idea of like the great, strong, like enlightened despot theory. And he wants to be it again. I got to stress this dude's just a general. He's not a king. He's not the emperor. He's not in charge of jack shit. I don't know what he thinks is going to happen when he conquers Eorzea. Does he just think the emperor is going to be like, all right, well you get to rule yourself a little vassal continent. There you go, buddy. Here's your, here's your little fiefdom. Like, no, he's just going to send you off to the next place to conquer, bro. Well, presumably I think he has plans for that, that we'll learn about post ARR because there's some political situations changing in Garlemald right now and he might have some connections to certain parties who might be vying for the throne yeah fair enough fair enough this is true and they they kind of might share similar philosophies that he perhaps he doesn't share with the current emperor <laughs> regardless he heads into the uh the ultima weapons main hangar and it's time for the level 50 trial the porta decumana now now this fight is way cooler than it used to be so like i said so much cooler the ultimate weapon used to be attached to the praetorium which means it was an eight person functionally a trial in the middle of a dungeon yeah but also not really because it was like it, it was it was an extremely crunched down trial like it was a trial that couldn't be very big or interesting because there was so much other content bookending it so they had to like kind of make it boring so the way it worked originally is there was a long phase where he was not invincible but extremely resistant to all damage and you had to wait for heidelin to break down his shield to attack him and then after that, it was uh, trivial. So first change, this is a separate trial. Second change, this is a four-person trial. Third change, the phase of the fight where Heidelin's involved is way different and way more dynamic. So first of all, he gets into the ultimate weapon. He, he challenges you directly. He's like, well, if you're so strong, face my final trial, because I believe that this, is, this will give me the key to conquer the, this savage land. Now, in the original, he did have, I think, some primal base attacks, but it certainly wasn't as in-depth as it is here. So, in in the Porta Decumana, first of all, I just want to talk about it. Uh, the music for this phase, of the, both phases of the fight are great. First yeah, phase awesome. is a track called Maker's Ruin. Second phase is, I believe, uh, just Ultima. Um, and, like... It's a, it's a, the Maker's Ruin is extremely heroic track. It, it's a motif that will pop up again and again from time to time. But one of the really cool things about this phase is that not only is the ultimate weapon going through these actual phases where it's using the primal's abilities against you in much more dynamic ways, Heidelin is also much more directly intervening because at the end of each one of these phases, the ultimate weapon basically does an unavoidable attack that will kill you. And before it goes off, Heidelin intervenes and shields you and tells you to keep fighting and then pulls the primal out of the ultimate weapon and sends it away. Yeah, which is like, which is so much cooler. It like, it, it makes, it makes Heidelin's intervention so much more interesting because like the, it used to just be like, 
you know, blink and you'll miss it for the first thing where she, um, like, lowers the the weapon's defenses or whatever, and then she just does the shield and then kind of, you know, goes away or whatever. This time, like, it really does feel like, you know, you've got, she's in your corner kind of helping you out. Like, she's, she's ripping the primals right out of this man. She's, uh, stopping his ults. She's giving you these huge buffs because, um... Even even with the, like, semi, like, not invincibility, but, like, extreme damage resistance thing, like, the, the ultimate weapon still does not take, like, very much damage, but then you get, like, the super buffs, and then you're able to, like, actually deal, like, a lot of damage all at once in, like, a, like, like a nice burst, and that's really cool. You love to see that kind of thing. Just, just broadly, it's a, it's a much more dynamic fight. Like, you really do feel like the Ultima weapon, like is this colossal threat like it's this this machine that can use all the abilities of these like devastating primals anytime at once and like really the only reason you can even kind of go toe-to-toe with this thing is because you have the literal god of the whole planet helping you so you go through the three phases titan garuda and ifrit and eventually, you have d- you have drained the ultimate weapon of all of its power, and Gaius is freaking out because I mean that's the whole point of this machine, right? Is to harness the power of the primals into these massive attacks. And then Lahabrea shows up wearing Thancred's face and says, "Actually, you fucking rube, um, that's not what the ultimate weapon was for at all." So it was. He explains. Yes, it was made to harness the power of the primals, but not for your own gain. Uh, no. See, the ultimate weapon is powered by something called the Heart of Sabit, which is a... Okay. It's very... It's a mysterious. Ill- it's extremely mysterious and very ill-defined. I, I'm still not entirely sure what it is. Yeah, it co- it comes up several times. Uh, it is not well explained any of those times it's like a big cool rock at the center of this thing i don't i don't know if it's of allegan design or older i think it's probably older but it, it is older he, he he says as much in the fight so he says you know he, he explains like yes actually the purpose of this of this weapon is to absorb all of the all the energy of the primals to revive the heart of sabik so that i can do this and then he sort of takes control of the ultimate weapon briefly and channels all of the energy into a primordial spell of ghastly power called Ultima. Um, and he explains that the ultimate weapon is meant to bring about the rebirth of his god, which I'm sure Gaius is not happy to hear. No, he's he is unpleased about this whole state of affairs, frankly. And, uh, you know, there's a very funny bit where, like, while Lahabre is talking, Gaius swats at him with the weapon and Lahabre just teleports over to his other shoulder. Yeah, and 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 also, like, uh, Lahabre reveals to Gaius, like, you know, because Gaius, he, he, the loses the first phase of this fight, he's like, what the fuck, how is this even possible? You're just like a, you're just like a person. I have like three gods in me. How did you do that? And Labre is like, ah, well, don't don't worry. This is a god battle. And guys is like, oh yeah, fucking of course it is. They gotta use Ultima to, to sort of even the playing field, I guess. And Ultima is a big explosion. 
just a the there's a gigantic crater in the praetorium now uh knocks ships out of the sky it lights up the the it just fucking blows the clouds away it's it's hugely devastating straight up tactical nuclear weapon size like situations here this thing is this is a this is a large explosion and Uh, (laughs) heidelin basically uses all of her remaining strength almost to shield you from it yeah the same the same shield by the way that sa- that was uh protecting uh Louis Swa and the uh Warriors of Light in the opening right. scene of ARR by the way. And you know what I'm just going to have our editor slot it in here because there's no way to describe or like mimic. You got to hear you got to hear this line for yourself. So the beautiful uh, English voice acting. As La Habrea is cackling like a fucking cartoon villain from the 1980s. Uh Richard Epcar delivers this beauty of a line. <laughs> Such devastation. This was not my intention. G- gorgeous. And obviously in Japanese, it's a lot more like horrified at the scale of the devastation. And like he, he sounds like he can barely comprehend what he, what has happened. Uh, Richard Epcar, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what emotion he has there. He sounds annoyed. He sounds annoyed (laughs) by it. Really? I mean, I would be annoyed. That was, that wouldn't be my intention either, frankly. But he gets over there pretty quick because he looks down and realizes, oh, what, you're still here. I pr- should probably finish this fight. Like, he's he's like, we'll speak later, La Habrea. We'll talk about this later. Uh, I have some questions for you, yeah. motherfucker. But now, but now Heidelin's Aegis has been broken. Um, but also, Gaius doesn't have, like, three primals. So, uh, vaguely even playing field. Uh, it's still still pretty okay entirely one-sided uh but you know you know it's slightly more even playing field and this is where the music changes over for the second phase and ultima uh starts playing and i really really like ultima Oh yeah, it's it's a very cool track. It's very it's very dynamic and like it's got this ominous choral chanting and these cool percussion stuff. Like it's a very interesting sounding song. And as you're doing this, of course, what, yet again they have they have changed this phase to be more intense. There are these you know it's a, it's a common trick for bosses where they'll have a proximity thing in the center to make you all split up. And then they'll have a stack up, so you got all got to run back to the middle, or sometimes in reverse. And he does that. There are hard to navigate AOE patterns and all this stuff. There's honestly pretty spicy raid wides. Some of the raid wides in these boss fights uh, did quite a bit of damage. Uh, frankly. Oh yeah, big time. And I like how they changed the uh, the Magitek bits. So there's these little little flying guys, which by the way, really good design. Like one of my favorite designs in the whole game. But uh, they they used to what what would happen is they'd fly in and they would just sit as like an ad on the uh, on the field and they would just continuously every like two seconds they would boot up and shoot a big laser and shoot a big laser and they target like random people and shoot a big laser and they would just keep coming so you had to like you you had to like juggle this situation where people were taking care of these 
because otherwise uh, it would just get too too much and um, kind of overwhelm you, which was cool, but I can see why they sort of replaced it with sort of a more traditional like AOE pattern where they just sort of swoop in and then do like some lines and then swoop back out again. But of course you prevail here as well. Uh, and I love how Gaius gets fucking ejected from the ultimate weapon. It's yeah. really funny. I was like, it's like shot out of the cockpit and falls on his ass. Yeah. It falls on his ass. It knocks the, it knocks the gold right out of his hair. This dude loses his highlights over this. He's, he's just like laying splayed out on the ground just like and and he and he has this whole thing where he's just like oh how could this be i was the strongest like, you gotta lead you ha- you're strong you need to guide the world and it's like bro that's not that's your philosophy not mine yeah like he, he's just he's like begging you like listen you you have to be the dictator now it's you it's all up to you and, and you're just like okay <laughs> it's like even when like it's it's clear at this point that he has been a pawn for la habrea um which is a theme that will pop up again and again garleans being these sort of useful tools of Asian machinations he still can't accept that he can't quite get there he still believes in his philosophy but his philosophy has brought nothing but ruin uh, which he will say himself in a bit here but yeah. he, he falls Devastation, unconscious perhaps. yeah and then la brea shows up and goes wow you fucking suck bro fucking idiot yeah let me let me show you how a real let me show you how somebody really gets the job done he rolls up his sleeves so this part's interesting so before this all of our encounters with La Habrea have been very brief and very like, ooh, haha, mwahaha, champion of Heideland, uh, you will you will fall to the power of my darkness, that sort of thing. This is kind of the first time we get anything about what La Habrea's goals are, because he kind of tells you what's going on. He talks about how the planet is experiencing a severe imbalance, right? uh of and and if this continues he believes that the laws of reality will like break and degrade until chaos reigns and the only way and he believes the source of that imbalance is Heidelin. he calls her like a parasite feeding off of the energy of the world and the only way to excise her is to bring back the as of yet unnamed one true god which at the end we will know his name is zodiac Yes, he 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 does it. He explains a surprising amount uh, of stuff to you here, like more than I remembered him explaining, actually. Uh, yes. And yeah, like he's he he has he has legitimate motivations here, which is you know so far the Asians have been very like you know like Saturday morning cartoon villains a little bit, like very like you know, rubs your hands together, twirls your mustache style, like evil wizards, you know, kind of situations. But, but now we've got more of like, this, this guy's got a plan and he has ways that he wants to to execute that plan. But that plan also includes 
Well, it includes two main things. One, he needs to cause massive chaotic disaster in order to make uh, his god appear. And two, he needs to make sure that you're dead. So, uh, square up. And this is the this is the solo duty. So this is interesting. Uh, like we said, this used to be tacked onto the Praetorium, and this fight was a fucking joke. It was such a joke that La Habrea literally had like he had invincibility on the last pixel of his health bar, just so he could use his big cool super attack before you you get him. Um, it, that's how easy he, it was. He was such a joke that literally. Um, the last time, uh, that one of our friends was, like, uh, graduating ARR, and we all, we all went in and did the, uh, the Praetorium together back when it was, uh, it was in its original form, we literally let one person solo La Habrea, and, uh, and he almost, he almost got there. I think, I think La Habrea got down to, like, the last like quarter of uh of his hp before uh other people had to like uh step in and do a little bit of damage it was kind of hilarious it's very easy to it was very easy to fight him now lahaprey is a solo duty and he he worried me at first i fell for it i fell for this for a brief moment because he does do a lot of damage and, he and you don't do a lot in return. Yeah, he does not take a lot of damage. So you have to be really good about healing yourself for this portion of the fight. So f- this is a scripted fail state. This is one of those, right? I think they do it better here than they have than they do. Parad- okay, paradoxically, this is the latest version of this. But earlier in later, <laughs> earlier in later expansions. Uh-huh. They do a similar thing that's not quite as good. Um, and I think chiefly, once again, I come back to the length. This is much shorter than those. And it feels less like you're you you don't know that you're gonna fail from the start. So basically yeah. the thing here is he has a bunch of fucking attacks, he does a fuck ton of damage. He's got a thing where he can double and triple his flare casts, which has a crazy amount of damage and gives you a debuff. And eventually you come to a DPS check that is literally impossible for you to do you cannot do this dps check yeah he makes four orbs that are charging him with power and uh you have to destroy all four before his meter fills but his meter's filling really fast and i i am i am reasonably good at this game um i i can i can do my rotations pretty well i i can you know do stuff pretty pretty solidly i i killed two orbs got one pretty low Got, got the third one pretty low, but I, yeah, it's not, I don't think it's possible to get all four. And, and this, I really like as the fail state, right? Because the issue with some of the later fail states is that they, um, they just, just arbitrarily stop. They, it just arbitrarily cuts you off. Like, oh, the fight's over now. Done. But this is like an event that you fail. Um, this is this is like a DPS check that is intentionally not winnable. But that makes it feel better because it's not just like, oh, the fight's over now. Go sit in the corner. You know, like it feels yeah. correct that you lose it. And yeah, he he does a freeze a death ball at you. That's basically what this attack is. He hits you with yeah, the freeze a awesome. death ball, and you'd fuck it. You're dead on the pavement, and he teleports away. And it looks like you have failed. Yeah. And then Heidelin, you, you hear heartbeats. Yes, you hear the heartbeat, and Heidelin tells you you have to stand up. You can't allow him to win. 
I'm still here. I'm still with you. And then all of the crystals of light you have collected over the course of this journey surround you and you go Super Saiyan. Straight up, literally supersonic. Like, like actually, like you get the Chaos Emeralds floating around you and you go supersonic and you've got your like huge glowing aura around your body. And also hilariously, this is the funniest thing. They like increase your base movement speed by like 800%. So yeah. you're just like zipping around. You move faster, you do more damage, you take way less damage. And yeah, you 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 do the same thing and you fight uh you you take triple Asian flare to the face. He doesn't and you, just, att- you just brush that right off like not even not even a scratch on the paint, buddy. And you eventually defeat him and it, and the whole time he's saying like, "Hey, listen. Even if you defeat me, yeah, you remember how I'm using your friend as a fucking skin suit?" Guess what? If you beat me, he dies. So, uh, checkmate, I guess. But he doesn't count for astral plane combat. (laughs) So, this has always been very weird and ill-defined. So, remember very all the way back in the very first cutscene of the game, right after you create your character and log in, you see your warrior of light fighting Lahabrea in a big void. And that, that happens now. This is the end of the game. And you get this is the whole thing where uh, Heidelin tells you if you if your foe's darkness you must banish it with the blade of light and your weapon of choice glows and you you slice at Lahabrea with this huge sword of light and you you it sort of tears him away from Thancred it like tears his essence away from Thancred. Which then allows the manifestations of the Scions and also the Grand Company leaders to attack and seemingly banish him. Yeah, I'm still not really sure what these like yeah, it's... constructs are. Are they just like the like the, the like the spirits of your friends is Heidelin? They just, never like... really <sighs> get this anime with it again, at least not in this way, right? Where it's like this. Uh, it's confusing. It's kind of weird. It's just like, it's the power of friendship in a displayed in a very literal way. This doesn't actually happen. None of your friends have any memory of this. This isn't a yeah. thing that they actually did. Listen, Heidelin just gets to do shit in ARR. Yeah. She, she just does. gets to do fucking whatever she wants right now. And uh, yeah, we have, we have, the, I love the like Laha Brea going, oh, the, the light, it binds them together. There's so many of them. No. And he gets banished. <laughs> Yeah, he's uh... just straight, he's like, dissolves, it's awesome. It's so, like, uh, I... I, I kind of I kind of love cheesy shit like that. Like yeah. that's, that's just fun. Like I love I, peep peep. You know, say what you want about like you know power of friendship stuff, but that cheesy stuff is like I think it's fun. It's it's just it's like popcorny to me. It's great. And then you're back in the in the burning praetorium, which is uh, now exploding because. You know, it blew up and probably set a bunch of stuff on fire, which is now starting to explode. Yeah, bear in mind, this whole place is full of oil all the time. Everything's got pipes of super oil in it. You got a problem. Thancred is unconscious, uh, and you have no way out. Solution, Maggie is here. Yeah, she just sort of shows up at the last minute and is like, hey, you need a ride, bud? So uh, so yeah, you, you hop on up there. Uh, I don't know where you put Thancred. 
because uh, like, he's not like sitting with you. I guess he's in the trunk. He's like splayed. He's like you like put him over the saddle or whatever. Like he's like you're on a horse. I think you can just kind of secure him there and you head on out. And as you do that, we see Gaius get up one last time, and this is where he has his like last words of of him. Uh, he addresses Sid, which I'm sure would make Nero quite mad as he as he sort of you know. He says, ah, oh, this is where my conquest ends, Sid. Ash and ash and fire. Perhaps oh I was God. Perhaps I was not so different than your father. God, perhaps it's I like, too infallible. It, it it's so fucking funny. And then by the way, he immediately fucking explodes the second he's done talking, just gone. It in a ball of fire. But like, it's so funny. Like you, you what did Sid, Sid shows up with his? He drives the van. All right. Mm-hmm. He he drops everybody off at the Praetorium, and and he like hangs out in the control room. <laughs> And at the very end, his last breath, Gaius is talking about Sid, because Sid's the main character. Mm. You're just along for the ride, baby. This ain't your story. So we get all of the Scions worried watching as the fucking Praetorium goes up in flames. Connie Senna is really worried about getting you out because she's like, listen, they're the fucking Warrior of Light reincar- Warriors of Light reincarnated. We can't let them blow up in some fucking shitty Imperial Castrum. Sid, you got to take the Enterprise out there and save them. He's like, I appreciate, th- I appreciate the spirit. If I go over there, I will explode. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she's like, she's very concerned, because she has a lot of guilt, right? Because yeah. she was the, she, like, the, the Adders were the last army, like, they were the, um, they were leading up the rear uh, in the evacuation of Cartano and stuff, right? Like, they were, they were the ones who stayed behind and tried to make sure everybody got out okay, but they failed to get the Warriors of Light out. The Warriors of Light all went missing, and and she basically blames herself for that largely so she's like no no i'm not doing that again i'm not leaving them again i already have i already have too much guilt and everyone else is very worried about this too but hide when when minfilia prays to heidelin heidelin assures her that everything is all good and you simply have to 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 wait and see and lo and behold you and the and the armor and thankred leap out of this like uh maintenance tunnel that is right next to the camp right and and right in you're out running a fireball you're back everyone's cheering it's it's happy it's beautiful it's 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 such a light it's such a campy way to end it it's awesome (laughs) you didn't probably literally high five yeah it's awesome you love to see it like again like the end of arr is super campy in a way that like the game never really is again i don't think like this kind of camp just doesn't really come back and that's positive and negative for different reasons but i i really appreciate it like i think that in the context of like you know final fantasy is like a big epic story kind of thing i can see why like there there's sort of a common sentiment that you know you can just skip the story in error you can just skip it just go on through it doesn't really i matter. don't think you can here's the thing here's the thing about that can. on its own yes it's the weakest one by a mile uh because of the its structure and the the time frame in which it was produced but i don't think a lot of stuff at the end of the game in Shadowbringers and Endwalker and even before that works without having experienced ARR. It's yeah. not that long. Look at like look, it is long, but it's not as long as you think. 
It's really not, and really, the thing is, I, I think that, you know, for, for all its faults, and for the fact that it does, it does really not, it doesn't try, well, okay, it, it tries and fails to be a serious epic story sometimes. Yes. Um, it sort of struggles, I feel, like, there's this real pull between, like, wanting it to be a serious epic, like, drama and wanting it to be, like, a super campy thing. And I think that balance in these last few segments here, especially the reworked segments, definitely shifts it all the way into camp instead of uh, the super serious stuff, which I think is dramatically superior. I think that leaning into that camp, making it about the camp, making it really silly and fun and just sort of a popcorn movie, I think that is like, that's what makes ARR like an enjoyable experience. It's very different from the rest of the game. It's very different in tone and style and again for all its faults it's got some really positive moments it's got some really fun stuff in it and especially with these reworks i think genuinely worth playing through like i i think i think for sure like you know if you haven't tried some of these changes i think you know you should maybe roll on through and just in and check out uh this this uh this last few uh levels of uh ar content because they're pretty fun so let, we're getting long let's speed through the end here because there's not a lot to talk about over the credits we get the the the, the big speeches from all the alliance leaders like basically officially forming the grand company of eorzea they're done the uh, the seventh umbral era is over the scions have delivered us from the darkness it's time for a new age of cooperation and so they they officially announce that it's the beginning of the seventh astral era and they band together for the grand company of eorzea and everyone's real happy and alpha knows like maybe i'm finally beginning to understand why you gave your life for the realm grandfather all that stuff yeah it's like it's like a nice little little capstone on the whole thing everything's <laughs> kind of coming together uh and and then you see a big purple crystal and you see a big purple crystal and, and dragon roars really loudly now this yeah is, so this is very funny so full transparency, this is a stinger about the very first raid series, the Binding Coils of Bahamut. They they confirm that it's Bahamut later. Uh, the the Asians doing this little cutscene. The Binding Coils of Bahamut might be the least relevant piece of content in the game. That includes yeah. like the Hildebrand quests and the Hildebrand quests are actually relevant now. Like side stuff with the myriad tribes, like these don't have shit to do with anything which is very funny because guess what this is the uh, it, they're so out of the way is the in that they are like not in the normal raid roulettes because they didn't know what the raids were going to be so they made them all really fucking hard <laughs> yeah the binding coils are genuinely extremely difficult even when you know what you're doing they're they're kind of a mess. It's also the only the only place in ARR where you're going to get any Alice content until post Heavensward. That's it. This is the place where she lives. This is the place where she lives. And by the way, this is also the only bit in the whole game, all of it, the only one that has a pre-rendered cutscene. That's it. This there is nothing else in this entire game that has a pre-rendered cutscene. It is just the Binding Coils, which is which is 
crazy. But that's you know, we'll we're we're going to cover the binding coils. We're gonna At play through point. them. We'll we'll get to it. Uh, uh, we got we got some other stuff to get through first. So there's that, and everyone's really worried about that. You go back to the Waking Sands, and all of your friends are there. All of the like minor and major characters you've met across your travels, including all three of the old men from each of the city state starters, who you did not know were different <laughs> guys. That all I, lit- I literally didn't know they were they, like three twins. I just thought it was one guy who they changed locations on. They are identical old men who all have a name that starts with the letter B, and all wear different colors of the same outfit. It's insane. It's insane. Also, everyone is there. Yes, they were clapping. Uh, you can make them all clap for you. <laughs> By exiting and re-entering the area, uh, like the, the, the zone that makes them clap, you can make them all clap again. Yeah, you can just times. you can run you can like run through like if you run from one side of the scion hallway to the other, it's like you're doing that thing like in a sports game where you like run through the crowd and you're like you're like high five and everybody as you go past. It's hilarious. And then finally you get back to the solar and Menphilia once again does the thing she does every time where she asks you to, to stay and serve the realm because there's a lot of shit happening. Bahamut might be coming back. Primal stuff is happening again. You know, we have to guard this astral era and that is where it ends. Except then we go to a, like a dank cellar somewhere. It's not really a, an impressive place for the Asians to all meet, but this is where they meet. And we see La Habrea, who is talking about, you know, basically the Asians are all meeting up to discuss how this venture went. And, you know, some setbacks, obviously, but plans still going forward. So we see a few care, a few of the other Asians without their hoods and masks, and we get glimpses of what their faces look like. And clearly all of these will be very important figures going forward. Mm-hmm. So we see Pasturat, we see Igiorim, who is uh, notable for being a lady Asian, and we see Nabriales, who is notable for having a terrible faux hawk. It's it's insane. The the faux hawk is crazy. And they're, La Habre is talking about how the reckoning will move forward, and then they all all of the Asians appear and they give praise to Zodiart, the uh the true one true god and that's that is where we actually end now normally i do a little summary of everything we talked about there we gotta get to the spoiler zone because boy yeah. hi, there's a lot to talk about so yeah we're we are two hours into this episode everybody so uh yeah it's... that is that is the end of arr i think we'll probably do like a like a like a decompression episode at some point in the future but for now, if you are uh, not joining us in the spoiler zone, if you are keeping current with us, or if you really care about spoilers, we'll see you next time. If if you are if you are caught up or you don't care, we'll see you in just a moment to talk about a lot of the stuff that uh, connects in the end of era because there's a there's a lot of it. There's a lot. Oh, oh boy. Okay. 
Okay. So first of all, I just want to say, very funny that all of the named Asians that are featured at the end of that are uh, no-name jobbers who are almost all <laughs> dealt with within, like, the next expansion. Yeah, I mean, okay, Iggy Yorum and, like, t- to their credit, Iggy Yorum and La Habrea survive until the Pope fucking bodies them, obviously, yeah. but, you know, Nabrialis gets annihilated uh not very long from now in fact he's he's the first one you really kill and pastorot lives over in the binding coil so nobody knows anything about him yeah someday we'll find out about him i guess one thing i really wish i had played the current raid tier uh the the second raid tier of pandemonium because that is very la habrea focused yeah i would like to see what they're doing with this character now because it's very odd to me his path right so i think we should start here because la habrea is a very interesting character he's a big villain in arr and in heaven's word and later on he becomes extremely significant because as we learn he is one of three unsundered Asians who survived the sundering unscathed and have their memories intact alongside elitibus and emet selk who are both much much more like well-rounded characters la brea because he is dealt with so early on is still caught up in the early Asian stuff where it feels like they didn't have the i don't know if they, they might have had a vague idea of where they wanted to go with them in mind but it's clear that at a certain point they decided to go in a different direction with them as characters because right now they are pretty much just organization 13 they're talking about the reckoning which is not that's not what it's called sir not what it's called swap out one of those letters (laughs) and la habrea's entire like mannerisms as this cackling skeletor guy and so i i guess let's talk about his little monologue before you fight him about this stuff like is that is that congruent with anything we actually know about what the askians believe like i guess Uh, kind of like you are kind of they do need to kill Heidelin to revive Zodiac. That much is true because Heidelin is the thing that is holding Zodiac back. And to do, doing that would allow them, they believe, to, to do the rejoining and bring functionally balance back to their world because it would be recreating their old world. Mm-hmm. But obviously the way he describes it is not really accurate to what they're trying to do at all because that hadn't been established yet right like we don't know about that yeah but i mean on the whole i think that it does a pretty good job of explaining of like laying the the foundations the groundwork for for the rejoinings and stuff because like like yeah you know he he's really into like you know zodiac as a god or whatever in a way that a lot of the later Asian content really doesn't treat him so much as a like a god god like a worshipped god necessarily but you know that's not totally incongruent either because we know that you know while you know some of the Asians don't really see zodiac that way we know a lot of ancients did see him that way like there were a lot of people who really did straight up like pray to and like supplicate themselves to like this to 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 zodiac as a genuine deity you know, like you, you see as much in um the extremely badass um cutscene where uh, Vana becomes Heidelin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those people who are just basically like standing around in 
a decrepit, exploded building, praying that Zodiac will deliver them, even though they've already given up, like, half of all the people in the world, you know? Like, so this, that's that's not totally out of left field. No. And, like I said, a lot of this stuff is just early installment weirdness, such as Hy- the extent of Heidelin's powers and what the Asians are all about. Later, we will... And there are other Asians that come up in different places, like Logriff and Mitron and all that stuff. They, mm-hmm. Yeah, naturally. That, um, that are sort of mentioned in passing in other places. But it's it's just very funny that this this sort of trio presented here as like, these are your villains going forward, are really not. They don't matter at all. In fact, the much more impactful character introduction is um is in the post patches when they introduce Elidibus. He yes. is the one who is actually out there doing stuff for the majority of the game. These other fucking guys, who cares? Yeah, who who really gives a shit? They might as well be black mask Asians for all for all intents and purposes. Though I will I will I will say just sort of touching on 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 Heidelin here actually cuz like you, you you brought up how she's like just doing all kinds of weird shit it's it's kind of crazy how much they let her do here cuz mm-hmm. like like she she gets us up to some shit that just never happened like ripping uh stuff straight out of primals ripping primals out of the ultima weapon uh throwing up giant shields like uh giving you like hyper power and and stuff like that this is like like she she uh she uses quite a bit of her uh of her whole strength here uh in this in this section here and you know before back when uh back when you know this operation archon segment of the game was in its kind of original iteration i always felt like you know, it, it kind of read like this little lame, like, oh, the god of the whole planet gets like too weak after throwing up one bubble shield. That's a little lame. But, you know, now it, it makes a little more sense. Like she's definitely putting out a lot of uh, a lot of strength here. And then she just basically tells you, all right, that was cool and all. Uh, I'm going to go lay down for like three expansions. And yeah, I mean, obviously this exhausts her. So we we get as much from um, Midgard Stormer and such. Like, it is interesting how how I forgot how big of a presence Heidelin is in her Realm Reborn because yeah, she does kind of vanish for a while, and is it is a big deal. It's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in Post Heavensward about that with the the Warriors of Darkness and the uh, Minfilia becoming the Oracle of Light and all that. Where it's like yeah, this this uh, shit goes pretty bad for her um, as the the imbalance of the world continues to to increase and she's basically i i assume she's just directing all of her power into keeping zodiac in the fucking ground yeah pretty much she's like she's like okay i gotta i gotta take a back seat here everybody hope you're hope you're good like there there's there's a whole thing even where like nobody can even like pray to heidelin like even her most devoted people can't like get a hold of her which is which is weird for them because heidelin is is a god who like who will just straight up talk to you um which is you know it's it's, a big deal it is a big deal when um when you uh when later on when she talks to you and everyone's like oh shit that hasn't happened in a while huh yeah it's it's it is it is a very significant event so yeah she she really takes a backseat for a grip here so there's answers 
obviously the the main theme of a realm reborn that only really shows up here and a lot of the other uh expansions you get the theme a lot more mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like it, uh, it not only in its regular version but the uh a lot of times the final boss is a a rearrangement of the main theme it will show up in the ost from time to time as a motif and usually there's even a cutscene uh, introducing the expansion that has the, the theme in it. That is not the case with The Realm Reborn. But, and, and I think it's interesting because Answers, I don't think, really fits the mood of Error, but it's actually pretty important yeah. going forward. Yeah, Answers is an extremely important song it means a lot it has it carries a lot of you know narrative and emotional baggage it is the motif of the calamity itself and i think that as as the theme of arr how do i it's feel a lot. about it, it it's, it's, it's a lot it is such a like because not, not only lyrically but musically it's huge it's this fucking rock opera functionally this grand piece of music with all these riffing guitars and these chanting choruses and these big questions which is it doesn't it's not congruous um which i think is why it's not used often in the game itself because it just doesn't necessarily fit there's nothing that can match its fucking intensity in a realm reborn yeah that's the thing like i think that answers is a perfect song uh, it's a perfect song for the opening cutscene of Arar. Like the actual calamity itself, it is the song of the calamity. And I think that yeah. it fits perfectly there. But I just don't think that the, you know, 2.0 being the like the journey of a broken world stitching itself back together in the face of adversity and ending on a high note. I think that the fucking, like, the the solemn, serious, like, extremely, like, emotional tones of answers, I just don't know that that really fits as, like, the core motif of of this uh of this part of the game it just like you know i think they could have totally done something a little lighter a little more you know because this is like answers lyrically i'm just looking at it here is people asking heidelin why they live and heidelin not really able to give an answer yeah like it's it's like a song of like like bitter despair at not being able to like understand why all these horrible things are happening to you like this this almost like animalistic like feeling like like this 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 lack of of understanding and like asking you know asking you know your your higher power for input and she just doesn't have anything to 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 say to you because she doesn't know either is like that's it's just a little heavy for you know for what arr is and they know this because yeah while this was never used in arr there's one part only once in this game does answers actually play in the game 
That is the sundering itself. Yeah, during the actual sundering, because Answers, to me, like, yes, it's a song of the calamity, but in my mind, especially after the sundering, it is very much the theme of the sundering itself, too, because it's like, you know, it, it is... You know, Vana ends up in this position where she has to force everybody in existence to having a completely miserable, like, pain-filled, death-filled experience of the world and, like, forcing them to live through nothing that they deserve to live through. And she doesn't have an answer to to their prayers. She's just like, "I, I don't know why. This is just how things are. And like, we, you know, it, again, the heaviness works there really well because that is an exceptionally heavy cutscene with exceptionally yeah. heavy material. Um, but, you know, Error just can't, it just can't hold that up. It's like, it's like trying to support a cathedral on some popsicle sticks, you know, like... Yeah, no, it just doesn't work, but it works very well in the future, and it's just also it's a banger. It's a good song. Oh, yeah, um, super good. Speaking of ties to Endwalker, I found Minfilia's portion of that big grand speech interesting because I feel like it, a lot of it is like clarified and, and uh, expanded upon over the course of Endwalker because what she talks about is a lot of like she has she has she while while Alphano is the the big fancy political boy and Rabon's the rah rah we can do it men portion of the of the of the speeches here Menphilia is talking about like coming together in the face of absolute destruction and like no one really knowing if the future we fight for will come to pass but having to believe it and all that sort of thing which is a lot of what Endwalker is about yeah it is she's very much like this beacon of hope style character here she really it's all about having faith and and holding hope for the future for her and that that definitely does come into play a lot more later so there's that yeah that's that interesting and obviously her character are going forward will also carry into that right with her giving up uh her life functionally her personhood on faith and becoming the oracle of light and going to save a world she has literally no connection to uh at the cost of her own like being pretty much yeah but she but she holds faith that she's you know not only doing what's important and 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 what she's being asked to do by you know the deity she believes in but also you know she has to have faith and hope in the fact that she's doing what she believes is the right thing and that sort of comes to a head actually in reen's character arc because you have this situation where reen of course is what is a good way to put it not like melded but also not like overshadowed by minfilia like minfilia is like her spirit is like overlaid on top of her um I mean the the way the all of all of the past oracles of light have gone is that at a certain point their being becomes one with Minfilia. They cease to exist as an individual and they become the oracle of light. Every Minfilia of the past. I mean, they even name them Minfilia once they discover them because they know that eventually they will be Minfilia. And that she Lorene lives in the shadow of that. Like that is how it's all gone, and they've every single one of them has died young, which is a shadow that falls over her, over Thancred, over Renji, everyone in that 
general storyline knows that that is the fate of an Oracle of Light, right? Yeah, but eventually Reen travels to, like, the place where Menphilia actually gave up her physical form originally to stop the Flood of Light. This this bit over in uh, Amarang, like, way towards the, the, the mm-hmm. end there. In this old broken palace remnant area. And she actually gets to kind of talk with Menphilia's spirit. And mm-hmm. there's this this whole thing that, that comes to a head here where Menphilia has been fulfilling this role for like a hundred years, basically. Just, just churning through... <laughs> Just Bodies, churning through yeah. kids and just using them as as uh, vessels. vessels for her like warrior uh, situation where she can like fight the sin eaters and stuff and try and keep all of that at bay. But you know, Reen is her own person. She wants to be her own person. She deserves to get to live her life and you know maybe maybe this oracle of light thing maybe this needs to stop maybe we need to move on and and maybe minfilia needs to just return to the life stream finally you know she's been a floating soul orb for so long basically you know maybe it's time for her to 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 move on and there's an element of like both minfilia and thancred have to have that faith and hope that by letting go and 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 looking forward to an uncertain future but a future that has a chance you know keeping everything the same doesn't give uh give people the chance to grow and change and make a better future it just keeps everything stagnant and i think it's a really like poetic encapsulation of that idea that the the sort of symbolism of that here is is allowing this child to grow up and become her own person and and leave this mantle uh both you know physical and otherwise behind uh and and letting it move on so that that hope for the future can actually come to pass and talk a little bit more about Thancred because I I need to well, I need to get to that conversation again in Amarang because uh, the first time I couldn't I can really read it through all the tears. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> but I really do like Thancred's arc over Shadowbringers, and indeed I think over the course of the game I think I feel like he gets a reputation as the man pain guy or whatever. And yeah, I guess you can see it if you would just glance at him like if you if you hear about him on paper yeah probably you'll come away with that that conclusion but i think one of the things is like so thankred knows this will happen because one of the things that sets up his his sort of at the beginning of shadowbringers he and uh reen minfilia at the time has like their their relationship has become a little frosty and distant and the reason for that is they actually went there before they went to armoring and there thankred actually talked to minfilia his minfilia and she straight up said, look, it's it, like you, she's going to make a choice. And ultimately that choice is up to her um, of what will happen to her. And the other end of that choice is that Menphilia, who like Thancred and Menphilia have a very close relationship that you learn more about uh, post ARR and, and post Heaven's Word, where it was a real brother-sister thing. And Brother-sister, but also like 
weirdly like parent daughter also yes. their relationship's kind of complicated it's really complicated but the, but Thangrid cared a lot about her and wanted to protect her and after he got shot into the flow by Yishtola he popped out again and Minfilia was basically already gone she was already the oracle of light when they found her and this whole thing is like he's holding on to this in the first because he knows the first is where she went and he's holding on to this like maybe I can get her back and this whole thing but during that guess what he also loves this kid now. It's like, oh, damn it. I've made an emotional connection with this kid, too. And so what he has is he doesn't want to let go, but he doesn't want Reen to stop being Reen either. So he's just kind of miserable for the, the, the first bit. He's he doesn't want any he doesn't want to move forward. He wants he doesn't want things to go right because no matter what, something bad's going to happen. And everyone around him knows this. And some people are more delicate about it than others. Yurianji obviously knows about this and kind of talks with him about it. Yishtola slaps him in the face with it because that's the kind of woman she is. Mm-hmm. But it's, a, you know, Vreen gets her name from Thancred. So like... It's like it's just a good arc for everyone involved, I think. It is. It's great. And it really ties into like the main themes of Shadowbringers, which is like the themes of stagnation and what stagnation does to you. Cuz of course, the whole reason that shit's bad is because, you know, light mm-hmm. is kind of the element of like placidity and stagnation and it causes a lot of problems when there's too much of that and you kind of go through every like permutation of what that means means and you know and Thancred is of course a really good example of what happens when you just can't move forward but you can't step back either you get stuck in the middle and he's just sort of miserable and also miserable to be around yeah people don't like being around him Vreen is conflicted about being around him it is like the dude needs therapy and he sort of gets it a little bit he gets catharsis, and that's what's, that's ultimately Shadowbringers is about stagnation and catharsis, right? All mm-hmm. of, all of the stagnation, like you have Emmett Selk unable to let go of the past. You have Renji just trying. He, the whole reason is because he's like he has gotten, he's watched, he's raised all these Menphilias, and every single one of them has died horribly. Yeah, and he and he is tired of it. He doesn't want to fucking cause any more children to die under his watch and unfortunately his 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 solution isn't good it's like i'm just gonna keep her in this tower and she won't go anywhere and she'll be safe and fine and that's not a useful solution but no it's the solution he has because what yet again vothri is stagnation he just wants everything to keep moving forward no one should care about these seniors they're good actually just come live here live in my society and we'll have a great time as long as you do exactly what i say yeah just just don't think about it don't worry about it just just chill don't do anything just chill the mining town, every, Twine, where everything has fallen into disrepair and the lead can't bring himself to repair any of these uh, Talos because of the grief. He can't move on. Yeah, it's Shatterbringers is broadly about exactly what Menphilia talks about in this speech right in front of the, uh, the Castrum's front door, which is, you know... You have to have hope in the future, and even if it's uncertain, you have to be willing to take the steps required to fight for it and push for it, even when it is at its most difficult. You gotta take the leap. That's what Endwalker is about. You gotta take the leap. You gotta take that leap. Um, There is one last thing 
that I did want to touch on. I put a pin in this earlier. Oh boy. Oh yeah. All right. So Livia Sass Junius. So okay. So, Gaius yeah, has a not, problem. Yeah. Gaius has so, a problem. He's addicted to adopting people. Yes, he is. I have not finished Whirlet. I need to do that. Um, but I think here's the thing about it, right? It does. It makes the relationship weird. But I think my main problem with it is not like obviously it's a weird thing for her to feel right it's not if it's one-sided it's kind of understandable right it's it's a thing where someone gets all of these emotions tangled up in their head and they get a complex right sure it's like a reverse oedipus complex the thing that bothers me about that is that they kept the line in a realm reborn where he goes, my quarter's in one hour. What the fuck does that mean? What does it mean? It's like, oh my god. Like, that's, that's the thing. Like, I think it's like really... That, that like, angle of it, that angle of it can work. That's like, it's a sad, fucked up relationship for her to have with a father figure, right? And it makes her a sadder character for it. But you can't have Gaius reciprocate in any way. And I don't no, think in can't. that recontext he does. I don't think he does in the modern incarnation of his character. But in the original... In, in the original interpretation, I think it was sort of meant to be that. Like, I think they, they, they rewrote it later. They like fucked I, up. Like, I don't they think... fucked it up. I don't think originally Gaius was written as, like, the guy who adopted Riditin and Livia and fucking every no. other person that he came across. Every war orphan that he made, he was like, all right, you're my kid now, which is hilarious. But, like, it just... You can't... Like, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, you got to change something. You got to change yeah. something. Because just, take just take it out. Just take it, that light. Just take that light out. The implications of it are too much. Like, once again, I don't. Obviously, it's weird. It's really weird and uncomfortable. But I think you can make it weird and uncomfortable with that context of, like, like I said, make it sadder. All of these people are looking up to Gaius in some way or another in a way that they cannot. It is unreachable. They have invented a version of Gaius Van Baelser in their head that he can't match. And by the time of Whirlet, he understands how fucked up things have got. He understands what he has wrought on all of these people, on Riddaton and Livia and Nero and all of his all of his uh, kids from Whirlet, right? Like he realizes. But it doesn't work if you keep that line in. It's just one it's just one line. It is one line. It's unvoiced, you can miss it, but it's it that dynamic. It just it makes the whole thing collapse in on itself and it just turns it into a really uncomfortable like ooh, I don't like it. Don't like yeah. it. So if they just remove that line or change it slightly, then I I, I really have no issues with it. Um, but you got to do that. You got to ch- you got to change the line because I like I like Gaius when he's reintroduced. I think it's an interesting idea to bring him of all characters back and make him sort of live in what he made. Yeah, like you did a lot of shit. Um, and it's also interesting that he is not like he isn't a guy who's. He still believes. He still believes in his country, and he still believes in the emperor to some degree, up to a certain point. And I like that tension he has with the rest of the characters and with himself, and being forced to confront the consequences of his actions. Yeah. No, he's like he he becomes a legitimately kind of cool character. Like, um, you know, I'll jokingly call the man Gaius von Failsar, and mm-hmm. he's a little bit of a, of a fail lord here, but he. He has, like, some legitimately compelling angles to him. I actually really like the fact that he kind of never changes 
yeah. his uh his his love of his uh, of his country and his emperor like even you know way uh, uh at the back end of uh you know stormblood right before shadowbringer starts and you do all the stuff in the in the garlean palace with him um like he he hears uh hears the emperor fall on the floor and he's he's bolting after that he's like yeah your excellency or whatever and he's he's like ready to lay down his life for this guy and i just i like that he you know he's trying to become a better person he's trying to make amends for what he's done yeah he's trying to make amends for what he's done he's trying to build build something better but he's not like he's not self-pitying the the important thing is he's not self-pitying he's not asking for forgiveness he's like look accept my help or not i'm doing what i'm doing and i'm just gonna do it yeah exactly exactly like he he's just straight up he's not asking for repent like he's not repenting even necessarily he's just doing what he thinks is the right thing he never stops doing what he thinks is the right thing and uh now that it aligns more with what the actual right thing is you know he has to confront what he used to believe in but he doesn't he doesn't entirely confront it because like he's you know he he's he's a changed man but that doesn't mean that he's uh you know completely reformed here he's got some baggage that he's still gonna need a very long time to unpack, which I love that shit. Like, I think there's a lot of media that is really scared about having a character that um, that needs to go through some amount of reform to become an ally. Um, they're terrified of leaving that person with remnants of how shitty they used to be like they really want to just put all of that really front loaded and just have somebody be like like fully redeemed immediately and i think that's a huge mistake it is really important i think to make sure that it is a long journey and it doesn't necessarily have to be a journey that even concludes inside the story you don't have to finish it in the story you're telling you just have to the arc has to continue like uh, the arc has to, to to have a place to go but you don't have to completely change somebody's entire personality overnight like this this is a long process for for human beings so treating it like that I think adds so much more dimensionality and depth uh, to who Gaius von Baelser is. He's not a good person, but he's an interesting person, and that yeah. is important. I would rather, I would much rather my characters be interesting, flawed people than cool guys who have nothing going on. And thankfully, exactly. Ishikawa understands this, and most of the characters she writes are that including the scions including characters who used to be flat before like xenos and it's funny she has a uh, she has a, a reputation for putting like old sad war criminal dudes <laughs> in her stories which she, she definitely does i mean emma silk is right over there uh, yeah. Um, and yeah like i don't know it's nice and i think the way people engage with characters has become warped over the years there's a there's like a parasocial tinge to a lot of it oh, big where time. 
they become attached and they want to like erase the actions of those characters and make them look as good as possible because they think they're worth somehow tied to these characters or like but it, no i i want characters who do bad stuff and are interesting for it like I don't like. I like that Thancred's kind of an asshole in Shadowbringers. It makes him more interesting to me. It makes his arc more satisfying that you can see the growth. I like that Yishtola is kind of this like she's very blunt and very open about her own agenda when it comes to these kinds of things. Because if she was just nice, she wouldn't be interesting. Exactly. Exactly. Like you gotta have. There has to be contrast. Like contrast is so important to building up a character because people are not wholly good or wholly evil there's always contrast present it's what gives something depth it's it's what gives it the ability to be interesting and you know it's it just like even to chew on i need something to grab onto for a character to like really dig in and see the depth if a character is just nice or cool and does the right thing all the time and always makes the right choice that's a fucking boring character isn't it yeah that's just that's just superman you know or and like superman then, is or, written by you know yeah, people who don't know superman, superman yeah super even superman has thing he has internality he has things to worry about and i don't know i like it when characters are fucked up guys you know yeah like it just it's good like i said again not a good person but an interesting person and that's what makes a story uh really really worth worth reading and, and digging into i think and you can only you only need to look so far as how people feel about hermes and Endwalker to see that the way oh, yeah. we think about characters is just something happened something broke so, something weird's going on you can't come on like he's such a good and fascinating character in both hermes and as Van Daniel, and like, I don't know, man, have a taste for a character who fucks up and feels things that might not be fucking entirely emotionally correct or whatever. Yeah, like, I don't know, woobifying uh, Hermes is is definitely some people's favorite pastime. Um, and also completely de- demonizing him is something I see much more often of like, this dude fucking sucks, he's the evilest guy in the world. It's like, oh, no. yeah, that's... The, like... <laughs> I don't know how you can look at Hermes and be like, that's the evilest guy in the world. This dude's like the saddest puppy dog who's ever lived. Uh, God. We'll, we'll talk about him and Emmett Selk a lot more once they start coming up because I oh, feel yeah. very strongly about Emmett Selk and how well the narrative treats him even as you go back before the fall. I really love, like once again, I just love the last conversation he has where he still refuses to admit that he was wrong. That is such an important character trait and it's, it's something I really love because guess what? Yeah, he can admit defeat, but he's never, ever going to admit that he was wrong. Yeah, which is beautiful. I love that. The pettiest bitch who has ever lived right there. Thank you, Hades. My um, ideals are inviolate, invincible. It's like, yeah, man, obviously this is what you would say here. God, I love that man. He's awesome. Uh, but we we will we will get we to him eventually. Three hours <laughs> on this, the longest episode we've had so far. Oh yeah. I mean it was always going to be like this. Obviously. Let's be real. I mean this is this is this is probably the biggest piece of content we're going to be handling until uh heaven's word the motion picture but i would say until several cutscenes play in sequence actually which is oh the yeah it's, it's gonna, that's a lot to, to unpack there um so yes 
until next time, obviously, yada, yada, we have other stuff. We're not done with Arrow just yet. Uh, we still have job quests. We're going to do uh, the optional dungeons between 20 and 50, all of the 1.0 optional dungeons. And we might do like a fun, like uh, character building thing where we kind of fill out more of what we think and feel about our characters. Yes. Um, then, uh, oh, one, one, one last little bit of housekeeping. Uh, we're, we're, we're going to be, we're going to be uh, putting, putting some stuff uh in, in motion here we're gonna we're gonna get like some tumblers set up and stuff because uh you know t- twitter's having some issues currently at the moment uh yeah. at the time recording so uh we'll be we'll be posting links uh and things shortly so you know keep 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 an eye out for that but until then i have been one of your hosts nero and i've been the other host jane and we will see you around the fields of eorzea adventurers